Hello, everyone. Welcome to the stream. Thank you for being here. This morning already, we've got three followers. I want to shout them out. Gregory Stevens 420. I think I've seen you in the chat before. Thanks for following. Uh, Wizwaltz, good to see you. And Smothspot, like that. Welcome to the show. Um, you're watching The Travel Agency. Thank you for spending your, your Sunday with us. The Travel Agency's mission is to nurture a digitally native platform that hosts contemporary art making, produces art-centered entertainment, and provides digital residencies with multimedia exhibition opportunities for emerging artists. We present contemporary art in an approachable manner and provide tools and expertise to artists to share their practice in new ways. Our live media programming cultivates unconventional audiences, promotes understanding through interaction, and provides alternative avenues for public interest and support for the arts. Um, I've had conversations in studios and galleries and museums, but I realize some of the best conversations we have about art happen you know, with your friends sharing a meal. So today you're watching the flagship show on the travel agency, Art Brunch. Um, each week on Art Brunch, we host a member of the art community to talk about contemporary art in a casual way. And I say we host because I'm not the only host here. Um, I got a, I got a, I got a little, little friend, little friend here. Got a little buddy. Got a it's little me, the buddy, the the co co-host guy. Hello, Jake Leach. Welcome. Rick. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having if me. If you like, if you like what Jake Leach has to say today, you can follow him at Leach 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 on Instagram. We had a good conversation about uh, about aim handles this morning, and also like, look what I have from him. Right hey. here. I got it. He said it was a gift, but I bought it. Yes. So, so that is uh, that is what is known as a work print. If Rick's gonna go ahead and throw that up out there, I might as well fully tell everyone. Yeah. It, uh, it was uh, my first uh, photo art object I've ever made. Uh, back in February and had a little show in St. Louis at East and West displaying them. Some people bought them afterward and it took me forever to get it to them. And that was even before uh, USPS was overrun by everyone else. So I can't blame them or anyone else, just me. Uh, and Rick is actually the last person to get it despite being good. a very close, good person, friend, pal. Um, and yes, I described it. I said, I dropped it off at, on his porch last night and I said, hey, I left you a little gift. And then I realized after I said that, that he had bought it. So you can't say it's a gift if someone bought it from you. I think, so I think that's I, uh, quite the approach. To, yes. To all of, my, the, all of my patrons, yes, enjoy your Jacob gifts. Approach. Yes. Here's my <laughs> gift to you that you bought from me. So that is uh, – I feel good to have finally made good on that. Oh, I love and, it. Uh, I'm Thank you, Rick, for – If I was upset, I wouldn't show it live on stream. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so if this is your first time on Twitch, if this is your first time uh, watching a Twitch stream, welcome. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's the way that this, this show is supposed to be experienced. We uh, archive these videos on YouTube and on podcasts later. If you, right now, something that you can really do to help us, if this is your first time, is follow the channel. And a little, a little like thing will pop up and tell everybody that you followed and I'll say your name. And that's like the first step in starting the conversation that we create with our communities here. So um, please do that if you haven't already. And for those of you who have followed, thank you. I do want to introduce our guest today. Our guest today is Liz Dykeman. 
And for the past 10 years, Liz Dykeman has worked in various roles in the commercial and nonprofit art sector, film producer, music talent buyer, college radio promoter, administrator, and researcher. Currently, she's the data and research manager at the Regional Data Alliance, where she works with nonprofits and government to conduct applied research, build capacity, and ensure data is a public good. Her work as a nonprofit arts practitioner inspires her research interests, cultural policy, research methodology, and policy process. As a political science PhD student at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, uh, she holds, oh yeah, that, sorry. Uh, she is a PhD student at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Uh, she holds a Master of Public Policy Administration and a BA in Art History. Um, she is a 2012 Community Arts Training alumna and co-founder of Midwest Artist Projects, St. Louis Secret Sound Society, and St. Louis Arts Projects. I'm going to pop her links in the chat here. And there's one other thing that she sent me in an email that I put in some images that I really loved when asking her about her project. She said, synthesizing my experience as a practitioner and researcher to examine power, policy, and inequity in the arts and culture, as well as nonprofit sectors, especially in the St. Louis re re region. Give me a chance to rant about these things, and I will. Welcome to the stream, Liz. Hi, I'm here to rant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, most importantly, I thought it was I before E except after C, not E before I before C? Uh, I don't know how they do things in Germany, but <laughs> it, is, it is not how we do them here in America. Yeah. Um, the amount of times I say that rhyme in my head and still spell words wrong is oh, incredible. It's incredible. I hear you. I got the spell check. Yes. Well, welcome Absolutely. to the show. It's, it's really a pleasure having you here. I was introduced to you by Jake. Jake and Liz have worked together in various varying different capacities and I think Jake you basically told me it's not a it's not a Jake Leach project unless uh, <laughs> Liz is a part of it at some point in in its in its uh, kind of lineage totally I I, <clears throat> I, I first met Liz uh, 10 years ago as a uh, little rascal kid uh, running around wanting to be part of the DIY scene and her and this group of cool people, uh, you know, working on this new space, this new area called Cherokee Street that mm. uh, I, I was just becoming familiar with, um, uh, with the Secret Sound Society. And I helped with, I think, a few shows or maybe at least one, I hope. I, I don't mean to oversell my <laughs> patronage, I, I, you know, but. Don't worry, uh, I don't remember. Okay, and, and see, we don't even remember. So I can say I was actually at every show, and Liz just doesn't remember, and I helped all the time. I broke my back for her. What the hell? Um, but, yeah, I just uh, – I it's it's one of those things where you're just like, wow, I've known someone for a decade, and, and Liz is one of those people. And I was like, uh, we've, we've got to – I was telling Rick, like, we've got to bring her on the show. And so I'm very excited for this to have come together like this. So. Well, thank you guys for having me. And it, it was a real moment when we realized it had been about 10 years. Wow. Like, Yes, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, to yeah, well, and to further what Rick brought up is to say like then since that time, um, I you know I everyone does their own thing, and I just I know it, I've just you end up talking to people, you know, like and I think that's what happens in a community this size that you just end up having you know chatting with folks that you've known for some time, and 
So I, I've definitely like gotten coffees with Liz where I ask her advice on stuff. I've attended meetings and things of that nature um, with various projects. So it's it's always been such a pleasure to to have her help and what she does for the community too. So yeah, and a special little thing here we talked to Liz about this before and and uh, this is the eighth episode that I've done with Jake and I only did eight episodes without Jake so like today is the tipping point in our relationship where it goes from <laughs> Rick has done more art brunch on his own to now it's like the team the boys this solidifies it it's this, the boys it <laughs> wow what an episode what an episode yeah. to be here yeah. what a time to be alive <laughs> what a time to be alive indeed <laughs> so um i guess we want to hop into our can segment if you all have your cans yes we do i've got a yeah. little a little intro video here to introduce this segment wonderful Okay, A, I didn't know Rick was going to do that. B, I didn't know he'd made that video. So that, that this is live. Poor Dude, Virgil. <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome to the Can Crucible. I, I think it was like equal parts equal part surprised and like impressed. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Let me just, let me just do this one more time. Yeah, let's see it again. Yes, please. Oh my goodness, that's sweet kitty cat. That's so funny. Mm. Wow. Well, way Rick, to way to go. That was great. I love that. Um, so, <laughs> so today we're drinking. <laughs> I intentionally did. We're drinking the Green Bar Distillery, established 2004, single malt whiskey and soda, rich and smooth. Ooh. Um. So, Can Crucible is a, a segment that we have at the beginning of each show often to start to get our guests drunk and <laughs> to you know to to grease the wheels a little bit um sure. we we rate these cans on three metrics the metrics are flavor mouthfeel and emotion and we rate uh those metrics on a scale of zero to a thousand so um the important thing that we should do here is a group pop if you all are ready on the count of three. One, two, three. There we go. Ooh. Skate Mom in the chat says, aw, Virgil. <laughs> the name that is your guy. cat, Rick, yeah. correct? Virgil? Tweety. Now, I've got to say that, um, Cheers. yeah, I don't like whiskey. Oh, you have the wrong one, Jake. I do? <laughs> you do. Yeah. Oh, is there... A is like there a different right brand, can? Wrong can? I gave you two different ones. Sorry. Oh, well, hold on a second. <laughs> can I go grab it really fast? Yeah, go grab it. Okay, chat, chat for Sorry, a second. Dude. Hold on. I... Uh, yeah, no problem. Because I have a bone to pick with this can. Yeah, let's let's hear it. Okay. I have this thing about the established. Like, I feel like everyone has been throwing the established in whatever year in 2000s um, they were established. And, like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I respect like, Sorry, establishment. Uh, but you we're know. talking about establishments. Oh, okay, my favorite subject. Okay, mm. you just are you yes. calling? Are you calling bullshit? No, calling no, not bullshit. at all whatsoever. Oh, no, Liz, I'm not. Liz, oh, Liz is calling bullshit. Me. Mm. Pardon me. So you're saying okay? See, so Warren, this is the, the first. 
bullshit call of the of the call, but this is not the last one. <laughs> so you don't think yep. you th- you think that it's a joke that they put established two thousand four on the can, mm. and that was like impressed. Oh, you're not impressed by the established? Yeah, it's. I need I need a couple more decades on that or something. It's a strange choice. I. If I can hop in here, I know I'm a little late to this conversation, but I agree with you. I think established 2004 is like, that's not long enough for me to care. We don't need to know that information, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, whatever you're going to do. I think it's like, I mean, it's got to be like 30 years. Yeah. At least. least. Yeah, I I would say. I would say that. For us to care. I mean, like, my car is older than this. (laughs) 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 You know, by a lot. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. Anyways. Is that a bug or a feature? You have like a classic car? Yeah, it's a Honda Civic 2001, actually. Oh, Ooh. highly sought after. Those are very, great. Very, And yeah. running well? Skate Mom questionably hear? says in the chat, 2004, I have underwear older. That's what I'm saying. I probably do too. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't as questionable as I thought. <laughs> I just refreshed my <laughs> MeUndies collection. Hopefully, oh, we'll be sponsored by MeUndies soon. Definitely. Okay, so now I've got my pop in. I now have the bright drink. Thanks, Jake. Oh, good. I should have. I I thought. I anyway. I wanna, uh, so, okay. So I'm gonna go ahead and what get this too. Well, I have to say that I hate whiskey. So. Um, well, thank you for bringing this <laughs> yeah. on my suggestion. I think. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, this is the kind of self-sacrifice that I'm, I'm ha- you know, I'm, I'm good with around here. This uh, is the hard work the travel agency puts in, and yeah, the sacrifices it, they're making. This right here is really work. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Think we're, it's easy to just wake up at the time. nine a.m. and drink a little whiskey soda? It isn't. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of think. Mm. Oh, we're gonna. Okay. Oh. oh mm, I mixed it with some coffee, and that's I think where it's at. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You Push called it. A little bit. That's made it. Mm-hmm. That made mm-hmm. it better. This is this is the way to go. So it requires, it requires coffee too. That coffee <laughs> assists the beverage. Um, should I get into the uh, canned copy, Rick? Yes, please do. Okay. So one of our favorite features of the canned crucible is we talk about some canned coffee, and oftentimes, you know, okay, we got into a little bit. There's Established 2004, it's a single malt whiskey plus soda, rich and smooth. Single malt whiskey with apple and ginger, as we previously stated. On the back side here, we have, this is a treat. A meticulously balanced highball with an American single malt base. Light, floral, and dry. Enjoy it cold or over ice. Which arguably, kind of the same thing, but I guess you're aerating it with ice. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then... I guess it says who makes this drink below it, and the people whose names that made this drink are Liddy and Melcon. What are you talking wow. about? Where is this? Below. Oh, oh yeah. Ice it's it says Liddy and Melcon from the Green Bar Distillery Spirits makers. Is that a joke? I don't know. Liddy? Liddy sounds like a joke because we're Liddy drinking this drink, bro, but Melcon I don't get, but I, that's a, those are great names, so – Hmm. To Lydian Melcon, thank you for your beverage. That Lydian we'll Melcon, yeah. Feel Shout out it. to Lydian Melcon. <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you how we really feel about your drink in numerical form in just a moment. Our first uh, metric mm-hmm. here, Liz, and you'll lead us off. We um, are asking for a flavor rating on a scale of zero to a thousand. 
Hmm. Ooh, I mean, I guess if they're going for light, if uh, Lydia Milken are going for light, floral, and dry, it's organic. I think they're. I think they're pretty much there. Um, but you know, as we've discussed earlier, my my forever perennial comparison is going to be Schnucks whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm using that as my one thousand, because clearly. Uh, I'd have to say we're probably around like I'm gonna say six to seven hundred. Okay. Now, if you do the coffee, I'm gonna give it a solid seven hundred. Okay. Okay. Seven hundred. Seven hundred. Even. Okay. Uh. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I um. So for me, um, a single malt whiskey and soda that has flavor of apple and ginger. Um, I think that they have successfully done that. Uh, that is Lydia Melcon. And uh, a whiskey and soda is not a drink that I typically get at a bar. At least I tend to do like a – I've been doing whiskey tonics recently, which maybe is uh, kind of – I don't know if that's soured the face of anyone watching the show. Um, But uh, I personally really like it. Um, As far as – and I understand that a canned beverage is going to take on kind of a different experience. So it's kind of like the, uh, I don't know, approximated – flavor because how can it sit in a can and be good so i think they've successfully done it though however um and i don't hate it i'm gonna go with uh 750 for this one for me for flavor heard that yeah how do they mix how do you mix something in a can that's carbonated because you can't like shake it up right you can't shake this up and i have a hard time believing that whiskey and soda are like evenly integrated throughout the can but if i shook it up then it would fizz i don't know uh that's strange to me I like I said I don't like whiskey. I think whiskey tastes like an old caramel on your grandma's counter, <laughs> and I just like mm. can't. I just can't get into it. I just there's no way I can get into it. I'm more of a tequila person myself. Um, like if I'm gonna sip on a spirit, it's gonna be tequila. Uh, this reaches all of my poor expectations of what a whiskey cocktail is. Uh, Two twelve. 212 wow Ooh. brutal you know that is pretty brutal sometimes yeah. we feel it sometimes we feel it it's an honest yeah i mean i respect that i respect that the uh, actually what i respect <laughs> is the precision 212 <laughs> like. um the next metric we have here is mouthfeel so liz take us away <laughs> i don't even really know what that means yeah exactly <laughs> Mm, well, uh, I'd say lightly carbonated, um, not as great as some of the other carbonation I'm familiar with in mm-hmm. my life, but pretty good. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt because I don't really know how to define mouthfeel and say 575. 575. That's what you call the benefit of the doubt? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Very kind, very wow. <laughs> super kind. <laughs> Gifting this to them. Um, it's tis the season. Yes. Um, Mouthfeel. I think physically, it is the uh, it's the bubble part that I think I like the least. I have to say, hmm. the flavor mm. is um, good, as I said. Uh, but uh, the mouthfeel is 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 not as good for me. So I'm gonna go. 450. 450. Okay. 
Yeah, so, like, whiskey has this, like, it has this, like, syrupiness to it. This, like, weird, like, I always get this weird, like, coating in my mouth. Maybe I'm just, like, allergic to whiskey. But, yeah. like, maybe I always get this, like, weird coating in my mouth, and it makes me feel, like. When you eat spinach? Maybe. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else have that? I, no. I don't know if I've experienced that, but I'm curious what that means to you. You get it. Are you allergic to spinach, Liz? Oh, spinach is great. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> no, but but there is like a like a, a res or uh, some residue left mm-hmm. over. Like you know, you just had that, and it's like one hundred percent the byproduct of of that. You know, spinach. But for you, it's it's, it's whiskey. whiskey. Yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect analogy. And I I just don't just just not. I mean, the bubble size is. I like the bubble size. It's crushable. But I just yes. would never crush. Uh, I'm going. We do need to add that as an official metric, I think, at the very end. Just a like, yes okay, or no. Yeah. Crushable? It's on a zero or one in the binary. Is it crushable? Then I want everyone to have to crush it at the same time. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's fitting with, with the whole. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I love that that's at, just at your disposal to to do that it is yeah 100 percent just at my disposal uh but yeah i mean it's it's a solid solid 165 for me okay gotcha rick i think we are on just you and i right now on the oh i'm sorry here we go thank you you. back there there we go (laughs) here we are hello um so yeah rick so you're giving it a 165 in mouthfeel yeah i'm just not into it gotcha um and as far as emotion goes, Liz, um, what's 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 what are you thinking about the emotion? Wizwalt okay, says, I'm, I'm "Cat is a star." <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. What were you can saying? We get a fourth square for. Oh. Uh, can we get the cat on? If we could just hook like a GoPro up yeah. to him, and then yes. like, there's just like what what a life like, or what a life is like for a cat. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That's what we need. I'd watch that. Um, Emotion-wise, I'd say I'm reading uh, like I'm judging this by a book on its cover. I already said I had a bone to pick with established. I have a bone to pick with this mm. heart thing on the front. Yeah. Yikes. Mm. Um. They're trying really hard. Yeah. Emotionally, I'm gonna say I'm like at a three hundred. Three hundred. We're slowly just spinning into despair here at Art Brunch. Um, please drop a follow if you want to help us uh, feel a little bit better about ourselves. A little better. Um, in terms of emotion, I completely agree. The can design is honestly, I mean, Green Bar may be a small operation, and I don't want to hate on them. Uh, oh, they're located in L.A. I mean, they're not like some little ragtag thing in the Midwest or something. Because there's a, I don't know if we talked about this, but there's clearly like, this can is a sticker. It's not printed onto the can. Oh, and they yeah. cut costs, mm-hmm. which, again, I mm-hmm. understand we're in a recession. But, you know, there's just this horrible seam here of where the sticker is. And the design, to me, is definitely, like, like kind of like ukulele Target commercial. And I just, like, I'm not into that. <gasps> With hand claps oh, and everything? Totally. Yeah. Like, this is, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. this is, I, I, I think they could have gone so many other ways. I also think, sorry, last thing, I think the way Green Bar, sorry, there was the camera. Mm. I feel like the way it's written, 
the typography use is like almost like a, a butchery, like a small local like meat thing. So I'm like thinking of meat when I'm drinking this, which doesn't feel right, which is more, probably more of a me thing than them. It's an um, all it is things. organic yeah. though. So uh, emotionally, I'm feeling very, I don't know, lukewarm. I think I'm gonna have to go with three oh one. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a prices right on you, Liz. I'm just gonna give them slightly more, but not a not, not a they drop. Deserve more that extra that. point. They deserve yes. that extra point. Yes. Rick, how about you? Um, Virgil's name precedes him, says Skate Mom. Gregory Steven says must have been expensive. Uh, is the label paper? No, it's it's like a plastic label. It was expensive. Uh, I'm not sure oh. if that's what Greg was talking about, but it was like fifteen dollars for four cans. Oh Lord. Yeah, so it was like, um, you know, up there, up there. It is up there. Uh, I think that uh, y'all's hospitality budget is uh, not bad. <laughs> I mean, we do pretty okay here at Arbor. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> please donate. Please do everything you can. That's a joke. Please satire. Please give us money. Anyway. Um. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a vibe. I think. I think. The only thing that makes this okay is Smoth Spot sub with the tier one. Welcome to the cabin crew. Right. Uh, the label is what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super cheap. Super cheap label. I mean, these guys, they, uh, they're just really dropping the ball. I mean, come <laughs> on. Like, if I, who, who drinks this? I don't know. Who? I don't know. How is this your drink of choice? Green bar. More like low bar. Oh. You know what I mean? Ooh. Low bar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, rude but true. So. I'm giving it a fucking goose egg. Zero. Get out of here, green bar. I don't ever want to <laughs> taste this ever again. Has that ever happened before? I've never given anything a zero. I don't think a zero's ever happened. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that was an emotion, too. That's like the most ethereal metric we have. So if a, mm. a zero in that space is just. That is a goose egg. Zero emotion. All right. Well, I will. Yeah. Yeah, Greg. I know. (laughs) I know. It's out of control. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to uh, briefly sulk and calculate the the final score for this. And then I'll probably be overjoyed with how low the score is. And in the meantime, Jake, if you want to take us through to your uh, horoscope corner. Yes. Take us away. Uh, so everyone, welcome to the Horoscope Corner, where I uh, read a little bit of uh, information to our guests about uh, themselves. Uh, it's just information, as astrology often is. Uh, it's not telling you who you are. Um, so Liz, you shared with me. Uh, well, actually, I'm so sorry. Just before we get into that, I, I am remiss if I don't let everyone mm-hmm. know that uh, astrologically speaking, uh, we will have a new show on uh, the travel agency. Uh, it is called Club Stars Align. Uh, it has been briefly announced, um, the sort of soft launch of that. Look out for more information on that. Um, but that will be a new show here on the Travel Agency, and our first episode will be on uh, this coming Thursday, January 7th. Um, a lot more to come from that and a lot more info, but I'll keep it there for now. Uh, Liz, you shared with me that you are a Leo. Um, and uh, I will tell you, I there are... Seldom Leos I have met that I like, and you are one of the few that I very much do like. So, <laughs> yeah, shout out to you, despite what the stars have 
<laughs> cast it about yourself. Can't wait for the Leo <laughs> episode of Club Stars Align. Yes. Uh, so a little yeah. about you uh, as a Leo. Uh, you are a fire sign. Uh, so you've, you've got the fiery energy. The quality of your element is fixed. So you're fixed in your fire. Um, and as it says here on astrology-zodiac-signs.com, mm. I'm revealing my source. Mm, the authoritative yes. resource, yeah. Uh, I found this on JSTOR, so don't worry. Um, uh, it says that your strengths <laughs> are that you are creative, passionate, generous, warm-hearted, cheerful, and humorous. All absolutely true in, in my personal experience. Uh, it says, though, that weaknesses, just information, arrogant, stubborn, self-centered, lazy, and inflexible, which would make sense, at least in terms of being a fixed sign, um, you know, but I also, what could be viewed as arrogant, I certainly think, or stubborn or self-centered may be passionate as previously said is a good thing creative so i mean i'm not disagreeing with any of that so far yeah. <laughs> as we often don't in the astrological uh clocking of one another uh we oftentimes are not wrong with that so uh what we're going to do now is the portion where as this is called the horoscope corner uh we're going to say i'm going to tell you a horoscope that uh and we'll have you reflect on what i say to you as far as how you've been feeling recently especially with the new year. Um, I'm curious how, what state you're in. Um, your horoscope reads, stay grounded and focused today, Leo. You can accomplish a lot if you set your mind to it. You may sense a blurry cloud lingering. This is your emotion talking. Amid all the goal-oriented pursuits, mental processes, and work-related issues, you've been given a short shrift, shrift to your feelings. It's okay to cry. Recognize your emotions are important, an important part of you. They deserve your attention. Okay, so this is maybe my like second or third time like ever reading a, or hearing or reading a full horoscope for myself. So, hmm. and every time this happens, it's kind of like, oh shit, that's like more, that is more applicable than not. And it always scares me a little bit. Um, <laughs> to be honest, more like, oh my God. Yeah, I'm writing my dissertation proposal right now. And I am very goal focused and oriented because damn it, if I'm not going to turn that thing in as soon as humanly possible, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I don't even care. I don't care if it's good. I don't care. It's just going. Um, but a lot of that resonates, which as someone who doesn't know anything about horoscopes or astrology, like astrology, like it's a little scary. How do they know so much about me? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, so my my mom is the resident astrologer for what will be Club Stars Align. Just a little bit more about that, mm -hmm. which is also where I get all of my information. So uh, if anyone is offended by my lack of knowledge, uh, I am learning slowly. I, I am a diet astrologist at this point, um, but astrologer, excuse me, it is not astrologist. It's wow. astrologer. Talk about diet. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you want to talk about noob, look at me. Quick yeah. fun side note uh, on Instagram: If you want to label yourself as an astrologer, you can't. You can only pick astrologist. That is not a word. The official word is astrologer. So uh, I guess Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening, uh, get your shit together, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the so, part, the part there about. Yeah. Uh, oh, Jake, go ahead. Oh no, please, Rick, go I, ahead. I was thinking that um, I, I I was curious of of zooming in on on the you know for people who haven't done a dissertation on the. Mm your experience of your emotions through this process and and like have you been in touch with them recently or or like because i know there's some times where i need to like 
sacrifice or go into a little bit of an emotional debt to like produce the work that I need to produce. And then I have to like, like that debt collects interest and I have to, right. you know, struggle to pay off that emotional credit card I've been swiping. <laughs> uh, but I'm yeah. curious your experience. I mean, I took some of that out on holiday cookies. Uh, oh. That was therapeutic uh, for sure, but they're all gone now. I think I shared like five days ago. I was really sad yeah. about that. <laughs> it's like the first um, thing you said on our tech meeting. Cookies are gone. Am I going to get anything done? Um, no, I, I, I think that's very true for myself. Um, I, because oh, I also, I, I really like like getting very deep into something. Like I know a lot of people who what works for them is like doing a little bit every day and and I'm like, fuck that. No, no, no. I want to like <laughs> like totally spend 14 hours a day working on this thing and get so deep into it um, because I know that I'm going to get it done more quickly. Um, and yes, the other way might serve me better in the long run, but I feel like often I'm just working against deadlines. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I totally, I totally hear you, Rick. Like, yes, I've gotten into some emotional debt. Like working on this dissertation um but you know like one day i'll have years and years to like you know make up for that at some point in time yeah and and as far as what i know again as a diet astrologer uh that is a trait that makes sense for leo that is something that leos are like they're doers they like when they do something they whole asset and they really get in there so it makes sense and i so i it's you know it's right there it always is it's always right there um, and uh, to kind of take us out of the horoscope corner, we always uh, end with my favorite part, certainly, of the horoscope corner, which is to let you you know, as well as the public, uh, what rappers uh, are also Leos in mm, the world. Yeah. And it's always such uh, a great um, blend, usually a, a good widening range. So uh, I'll go ahead and name. There'll be quite a few of them. We have Lil Pump, Lil oh. Uzi Vert. We have Chief Keef, Young Thug, Nipsey oh. Hussle. Soldier Boy, Stormzy, already amazing so far. We've got a few more here. Young Dolph, Fat Joe, um, gotta lean back. Nate Dog, Coolio, Dram, and I'll end with this Lil B. Wow. <laughs> That's a I'm, good lineup. I'm, I'm very glad to be among you such are company. Amongst yeah. Excellent company. Because we've we've shared those lists with other people's signs, and they've typically been good, but I have to say that is pretty next level in terms of proud to be scale. a leo proud to be a and leo honestly person. i think there's probably something to the leo personality that lends itself to want to rap and want to shine i mean you're a fire sign you want to you want to burn bright you know and i just I, it makes a lot of sense so that's that's the great company you're you're amongst for sure Based yeah, says Wizball in the chat. Based yes very yeah. based i love based i i mean <laughs> chief keef is like top three for me i think he's he's like top 10 i and this might get people mad at me but i'll say it chief keef is like top 10 all time yeah all time all time all time he Ooh. changed the whole game he I did love i love chief keef so, so that, ricky that's the say, one that's that shit you do like yes uh-huh exactly. I, I might say that i love sosa <laughs> um but but yeah, that's I, I could I could zoom in on any of those. Um, there are definitely a few in there I really like, but uh, Chief Keef needs needs to go down in the history books. So absolutely, special, yeah. The hill I die on. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Wait, Rick, are you going to continue to drink this drink despite your incredibly <laughs> low rating <laughs> on every level possible? Yeah. That's the work he puts in. Because I respect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's work, you know. I mean, we don't always, you know, this is my job. And so, mm -hmm. like, there's certain times where you're at work and there's a project that you might not be super interested in. and But, like, you said you're going to do it. And, you know, this is a, a great way for me to live up to my word. Well, we appreciate your and dedication. One drink at a time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jake, thanks for sharing all of that with us. Um, Absolutely. Well, we, and Rick, I'm curious, do we have a, a verdict on the average score of uh, 383? Yeah, our, our media is that is that wow, our that's, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, three eighty three out of a thousand. Three eighty three out of a thousand. That's that's not great. I that's the what. average score. I I, yeah. I don't know the difference between mean and median. I'll just have to say. Oh my! Oh my God! Uh, I was I was about to do a spit take. Um, <laughs> I got really excited talking about average. average. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, I, I bet um, Liz talks about means and medians all the time. <laughs> yeah, sure do. Um, I, I'm going to take a, a guess here that that's like one of the lowest uh, total scores that a canned drink has ever gotten. It is. It is. It definitely is. Yeah. Skate Mom in the chat, first of all, says such commitment. Thank you. I'm here for you all, really, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, and that also we overcorrected from the last can crucible rating that was like in the millions yeah. um which doesn't even sound possible yeah yeah it was it was it was it was wild we had um nick and marina from cool whip on the show and and they just decided to mess up my desk basically i had a bunch of nicely <laughs> laid out papers on my desk and they came over and they just started smushing them around and ruining all, all anything that i had built um so it's it's really nice that we kind of just you know return to uh, just you know normal numbers a return to form for sure keep mm -hmm. it keep it on the in the new year keep things tidy it feels nice honestly president so. linkold welcome to the stream good to see you president linkold says too much math uh so we, we got to keep Mr. President, in mind. If we're going to keep Linkold in the chat, we got to cut the math. Fair enough. This is going to be this. This it's going to be in reference to some math. I think that's like, you know, there's there's some math in the work that that you do, Liz. So, uh, President there, Linkold, there you is might, so like, oh, spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> might want to. You might want to keep it to a minimum. Yeah, yes. you might want to like have the mute button close at hand, handy. Yes. Um, I'll have a trigger warning sign go up anytime. <laughs> warning. Mass content. So as far as the show, if you're watching the show and confused about what it is that we're doing and, and why it is that we have Liz here, this first part is just to help you all get to know her and kind of um, set the stage for the next segment, which we'll be doing shortly, um, where we really dive into the work that Liz is doing. But um, before we go to our break, in the, in the next 10 minutes, I think I, this is a part of your life, Liz, that I don't really have any context for, um, is uh, when we have visual artists on, we ask them about the creative, their creative upbringings or you know, their first instances with drawing or, or visual art or, or making things. And I extend that question to you with flexibility and that like, 
you know, where, where do you locate or how do you tell the story about your creative beginnings in, in the context of where you find yourself now or are the different things that you've found yourself doing? That's like a really intimidating question as a person who does not identify as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, even like saying the word creativity is just like, ooh. <laughs> um, C word. The yes. other C word. The C word. <laughs> oh, we got the M word, we got yes. the C word so far. Um, but uh, no, I, I think that a lot of my, I think a lot of it starts with just being a big fan of art. Like, to be honest, like the thing that like really is the thread throughout all of my work is that I love art and I love artists and that I feel like my, what I can do best in this life is to support that. Um, and that's been through a lot of different ways. I've had like 10 different careers in the past 15 years, mm -hmm. um, but they've all led, they've all very organically led to one another. Um, and I think just being curious about uh, art systems, I think has really been um, kind of the, the spark um, for a lot of my work um, about how those systems do and do not support artists and creatives. Um, and does that come from an experience of not being supported at some point? Because oftentimes for, like for me as a visual artist, uh, I'm not supported by a lot of the infrastructure and travel agency like comes out of a need and a desire for alternative infrastructure for communication. So does it, does it come from like a, a referential experience or, or does it come from a different place? I think it comes from um, starting to work with artists and realizing how systems, um, frankly, aren't really meant to, meant for them in a lot of ways. And I mean that in terms of art and political systems. Um, I think it really came as being an outsider to like the nonprofit industry and sector um, and just wanting to to support what I loved. And then slowly asking questions about like, but why don't we pay artists a fair wage or why aren't there grants for specific artists or why so I think it came with a whole lot of um, being incredibly naive to be honest and being an outsider and then slowly kind of working my way into the sector through like a line of questions about why things don't exist more so than like what does exist mm. um, and getting really interested in things from like a systems uh, perspective and institutions perspective like um, knowing that we like that I really value artists, but like how in our political systems and institutions do we value artists or do not value artists and how do we show that? Yeah, this is a part of um, a larger conversation or, or something that I think is interesting inside of organizations, but having uh, the the naive perspective or having the, the beginner's eyes to situations and problems is uh, I think a really valuable thing to have and something that we're also interested in here because like um when i'm engaged in my creative practice and uh all of the like complex social relationships that go into like an artist making work and making and showing work like so sometimes i can get like very entrenched in the the minutiae of like what that feels like or or what i feel like i need to do to move or modulate myself through these structures. Um, so you saying that like having this experience of entering into that with kind of like a fresh perspective or a clean perspective and being able to make work to support the things that you are passionate about, I think is a really good tool, a really cool and valuable tool as well. And actually this is reminding me of like, actually I do have like, I think a specific 
moment where a lot of these things came together. And I think it was booking a Canadian and or artist and learning that the Canadian government pays musicians um, just for them to be able to, you know, create. That's why. And I remember being like, wait a minute, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Hold on a Here. second. <laughs> like, why not? We don't even have grants really for musicians. You know, like we have so few things. Um, like, what's the difference there? Why is that? Like, why does Canada pay their musicians and we don't? Like, mm. I think that was like a real moment. Like, I, I think I was in New York, at, uh, living in New York at that point in time and booking a Canadian band. Um, being like this is fucked up yeah totally uh, and with you know we got about five minutes left before the break but um kind of in the creative like kind of beginnings like um i feel like what relates most to like what you do now is probably i at least as far as i know of your life is uh is like kind of more of like the college days of uh booking shows um i'm curious what what drew you to to do that like what what brought you to want to be like well i'm not an artist but i want to be amongst artists and and bring them to spaces um, I, like, I, I think really like at the, at the heart of it, like I said, it is being a fan. Like I yeah. love music. Um, and so I started to like really orient my life around what are, what are my skills and how can I support this? Um, and I think that a lot of the opportunities that you're talking about, like early, early on doing a lot of booking, um, it was like in my wheelhouse, like as a, as a Leo, uh, I am, <laughs> Uh, you know, I can provide, I think I, I'm like very, um, I often find that my skills are very complementary to artists. Like I'm, I'm very much so like a planner and a scheduler and, uh, like, you know, let's put some specifics on this sort of person. Um, and I think throughout the years, I found that that's really complementary, but also I think that it's kind of fed in this philosophy that we expect artists to be all things. Um, we expect them to be, you know, entrepreneurs and grant writers and artists and all these other things. And I think really quickly, I realized that like, I don't think you should have to do all of those things. Um, I think that being knowledgeable about them, sure. Um, but if you really want to create and focus on your practice, like there are people who can, can help with some of those other things and mm. want to, like, I want to do those things. Well, and you know, I think like you allow your those artists to fully be in those spaces too and if nothing else just because you know i think there's the idea of the artist being kind of like lost in their own world and not on this planet and you know never shows up on time and blah 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 but um i mean probably a broader conversation to say that we definitely are all having to become our own everything um but i think in a it, i almost feel like it speaks to your work that like you're you're saying like to have an artist and to have a person who helps them do these things is to make community and that like community is that that union space of where you know it's not just the artist it's also the person who does the grant writing so the grant writer is almost an artist in themselves because that's what they focus on sort of and it creates that that interplay that builds a greater scene yeah and let me be clear that like i fully am aware of the dynamics of power and the words i think in like helping language and like i don't mean to uh <laughs> in any way imply that like i am helping artists no way like we are co-producing we are creating mm -hmm. community we are co-create like it is very much so a a with not for situation mm -hmm. um and i don't want to imply that it's anything different because i think yeah. oftentimes frankly 
like the art world does a whole lot of four and not with i don't know why i'm whispering right now yeah um, <laughs> they can't hear you shout out yes like point let's point and get our bullhorns yeah. out yeah yeah um but no i think very often like you know the art world is not centered on artists and so i think really what it is it's i think kind of more so trying to align those two things um than anything else yeah and um, what I'm hearing there too is I think like some some artists ha the the language was really helpful because like there are opportunities for organizations to co-op artist image to co-op artist productivity for their own marketing like you know the, you know like for an Instagram post right and and we uh, as you know the artist the contemporary artist is also rightfully concerned about like influencer marketing and the ways that that gets kind of like manipulated with with some organizations so that's that's good i've got a few things in the chat here that i'd like to share oh, yeah. before um first of all president Lincoln he redeemed a thousand channel points to ask the question what is your favorite pastry favorite oh fuck that's hard um I'm kind of pulling this out of my uh, almond croissant. Almond croissant. That's a very solid choice. Um, very similar to my personal favorite, the bear claw. Uh, Wise Guy McFly, welcome to the stream. Welcome back. Seen you a few times. Thanks for being here. What Wise Guy drops the uh, Leo emoji in the chat. So shout out to Leos. Um, Skate Mom was referring, same for authors, having to do everything all at once for themselves um, skate mom is an author and definitely kind of feels that struggle i think it's it's very common in the creative fields uh Wiswalt says why build a table if you won't allow others a seat and i i'm a huge fan wow. of, of that i love that i want to say really quickly yeah because in i think a lot of ways we're trying to build or the table is being built for artists but in all reality like that place has not been set nor have they been invited a mm. lot of times and it's super fucked up that uh the like the optics of inclusion are there and that we're we're artist focused but in all reality like how many artists are on those nonprofit boards how many artists are like involved in decision making you know yeah um, yeah and that's something that I look forward to talking to you about at some other point that's not our brunch is we're in the process of creating a board for the travel agency and it's like there's this there's this pull to bring on people that have money power and influence and and there's also this alternative of like you know what's what's a minimum giving requirement that's appropriate when you're having a board of visual artists who like as we'll get into in a little bit, we know through data cannot pay their bills right now. Yeah, I am. I'm trying to like give a really big eye roll right now to to all of those things <laughs> uh, because they feel like the most like antiquated way to think about a nonprofit to me. It's like yeah. someone's idea of how a nonprofit should run in 1950. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we're gonna pop some links in the chat here for people who run art nonprofits or are interested in having <laughs> conversations, midwestarts.org is Midwest Artist Project Services, Liz Dykeman's co-founded um, nonprofit, doing a lot of really cool stuff for artists in St. Louis. Oh, and artists too, you know. I, I, I think it's, I think that there are, are a lot of things and we'll get into that more specifically. Also, um, Liz's Instagram is there. Uh, the chat is going on and on about some sort of table thing 
Um, <laughs> our table was too short once, and our dog stole a filet mignon off of it. The table is actually an exclusive bar we don't get invited to, says Smothspot. Unwelcoming tables. I love the idea of flipping all the tables on their heads. I added tables uh, to, to that last comment. So um, y'all keep talking about tables. Uh, maybe some of your favorite tables, um, some good table moments while we take our first table break. We're going to table Please, this okay. conversation. Table, I was just about to yeah. say <laughs> No, you say it. Thank you. Uh, we're going to table this table conversation uh, for just one moment. And, and we'll be back at about 11.12. Thank you all for being here. If you are not following already, please. If you're not following already, please drop a follow. It really helps. If you have a couple bucks to spare, you can send us some bits or subscribe to the channel. That's what we would really appreciate. Um, you can also give subscriptions. And if you have Amazon Prime connected to your Twitch account, you can use your Prime sub to uh, do some do some cool stuff to give us money for free. Like, we, we get that money. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you get a free sub, you can gift it to us. Um, we're gonna take a short break. We're gonna be back in 10 minutes. We will see you at around 11.13, 11.14. Enjoy these videos of planes while we're gone. Oh wait, one more time. Hello, hello, thanks for hanging out over the break. I saw lots and lots of emojis. Um, President Lincoln, it's not your boy, it's my boy, and it wasn't a massacre, okay? Um, he respected me for it. Uh, this stream is sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends, so definitely go download that trash app. Um, Skate Mom with the four bits, thanks for the bits. We love the bits. Those bits will go directly into our programming and will help our resident artists and help us, you know, continue to grow. Uh, we're here today with uh, loving co-host Jake Leach and our wonderful, intelligent, kind of like scary intelligent guest, Liz Dykeman. Um, so we're going to be entering into this uh, second portion of the show here where we talk with Liz about the work that she's doing and um, the perspective, the really unique and amazing perspective that she has. So welcome all back to the stream. Um, Liz, over the break, I was asking you to, you know, just just quickly and succinctly define who you are. Oh, uh, Lord. Um, that's like the serious <laughs> question i've had in a long time so ridiculous i'm sorry i i, I mean we we know things about you right um we know yeah, that can you repeat the question <laughs> no no I, I i i just wanted to put you on the spot there um so we know from your uh your bio that you're data and research manager at the regional data alliance and you're co-founder of mm -hmm. um midwest artist projects services which is a nonprofit here. And you, in addition, if those two things weren't enough, you are writing, um, you're doing your PhD studies at UMSL uh, in political science. Yeah, these things are all true. Um, I'm trying to think what the sum of them is, however. I mean, really, like, I think what you said earlier, like, I. I found myself like on a on a journey through the arts and culture sector, like really anchored here in St. Louis because this is where I live and work and, and love. 
and that my work as you know an arts administrator and a talent buyer and all of the other 5,000 jobs I've had within the arts from like doing marketing to like sweeping floors, mm-hmm. uh, more sweeping floors than, than anything else. <laughs> um, is really that like, I, I think that like, it's been this like amazing journey of really asking questions and like these questions have, have led to like other questions. Um, and they've led me to this place of really wanting to learn more about what I often see as like a practitioner um, mm. or being in the field. Um, like I said, you know, I just had really basic questions about like, why is it like this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really led me to, it led me to, you know, um, studying policy, which led me to politics. And I think I realized um, in the past, or I hate having to say this out loud, six years of graduate school, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, power is like the atom of political science. And I think in a lot of ways, policy as well. Um, and I really think that it's been an incredibly helpful lens for me to better understand like the arts and culture sector. Um, power is, you know, implicitly in so many of our systems and ways we treat each other and ways we work together um, that I think it really led me to um, understanding things like having a different lens and having now like a much more, although I reject it in a lot of ways, like I have now like the the academic background to speak to these things in different ways, but like be honest i don't really care about the academy like i'm doing these things because i care about the community um and i hope that whatever academic work i'm doing like it always feeds back into the community i don't want to be you know research produced for the or academics like i want it to be research produced for the community like i want to be able to answer questions or work with people to answer questions they have about our own arts community like why are things the way they are well, Anyone have any questions? I love to... <laughs> yeah, first <laughs> well, of all, I want to I want to say thank you to Skate Mom for the hundred bits. Thanks for cheering oh. the hundred bits today. Yes, um, I I also love too that like you're saying like you've swept the floors, like you've gone to the the you know beer sloshed whatever basement shows, you know, and like that's that's the community that it starts. Not all art beer sloshed certainly, but um, you know, just like you like. I think part of the participation of like people who go into these spaces, uh, you would hope anyway, have certainly participated in those worlds as as a patron, you know. And and I think that like I think the best of us that go into spaces of like academia or places of nonprofit or power or whatever they may be, uh, we're really on the ground, you know, in the first place. And I think that that gives the inherent street cred, you know, if 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 nothing that, but then also truly the experience that uh, can better. Like not only people take you seriously, but then also it better informs the the, the future things that we're setting forth in the first place. Now is uh, no longer kids in a basement, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can't be a kid in the basement forever. I mean, like you can. <laughs> I, in There's my always heart, that one I guy. Yeah. Be, <laughs> oh yeah, there uh, is also, always that guy. There's always the one talk guy. About, <laughs> talk about street cred. Can I point out there is a Schnucks whiskey bottle over your shoulder? Okay. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, that was our little Easter egg. Uh, my mom, actually, I don't know if anyone caught that, brought that in uh, during the last segment while on air. I didn't want to announce it officially, but I did make it a, <laughs> just to not set a precedent that we're interrupted. Okay, mom. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah. That, shout uh, out to Denise. Have, shout out to Denise, uh, my dear yeah. mother and astrologer who will be on Club Stars Line. Sorry, just dropped that in there. Anyway, uh, I thought I would have that on display for us i thought it felt right for this episode it's, it's like the devil on your shoulder it, feels good. it is it's like let me let's or the angel it. or the angel yes well can get it. we all know how i feel about whiskey 
we go. <laughs> um, I want to I want to say really quickly too, though, something that I think I'm really interested in is starting to like deconstruct the power systems and narratives that we have within the arts community, mm-hmm. um, and to be able to have like, for lack of a better word, some of like the more technical abilities to be able to like answer questions. And that's not to say that I am providing new answers to questions, um, but really more so grounding them in like data that I think, unfortunately, a lot of decision makers and people with power uh, respect more than lived experience, which is really sad. And we can talk about that for like a very long time because I have lots of feelings about that. Um, But, you know, I think like, actually, I think a really great example is, you know, I think it's also a way that a lot of institutions and systems sweep away real issues. Like if you um, don't know that there's data out there or you don't know um, that you can ask particular questions, um, essentially like in political science, we would call this something like, uh, there's a couple of different theories out there, but it's the idea that like people in power, systems in power are intentionally keeping information from you so you can't raise certain issues, right? Mm. And I think that that's a really interesting idea because frankly, I think it happens a lot in the arts. And I mean that like at every different system and institution. And I don't think it's, all the time I don't think it's intentional, but I do think it's a real, um, it's really built up over over time and over history. Like those are like what's become normative. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think a really good example is, I think about financial inequality among arts nonprofits. Um, I would talk about it about among artists, but to be frank, we don't even collect data on artists. And that's because, again, I think that collecting that data means it's important, means that you can answer questions, means that you can, you know, produce research. Um, it happens, you know, every couple of years, we might have some sort of study on artists, but for the most part, you know, no one's really collecting that data and asking like, you know, what can we learn from this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the examples I, I'm, I'm thinking of right now in all of this is um, funding inequity among us. Um, and this has been kind of like a thing that's come up in the past, I don't know. I'm sorry, you cut out years. just briefly. Funding inequity among? Arts nonprofits. Arts nonprofits, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. And you know, it's a conversation that's happening a whole lot among practitioners. And I think it's just really starting to like happen very seriously um, among among people who work at arts nonprofits, among people who, you know, are patrons, you know, whatever it is, however they um, interact with them. But, you know, if we look at St. Louis, and if you don't mind pulling up, yeah, let's see, slide number, I think we can start with slide number one. Um, you know, there is data out there, if you are very deep in the weeds um, where you can start to look at um, how equitably, for lack of a better word, uh, funding is distributed among arts nonprofits. And so something I think about a lot um, is, is this equitable or is it not equitable? And why, and I think this is like the real question, do we not talk about this in the same way we would talk about inequity among individuals? Like wealth inequity is something that um, as, as citizens of the United States, uh, we have talked about more and more, um, but I think you know that's become a lot more normative within that space. But like, why hasn't it become normative within, you know, the cultural sector? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's a very legitimate question, um, and I think that it really makes us face you know the historical biases and cultural biases um, that the sector has operated in for a long time. 
Mm. Um, so we can, you can really start to see, um, you know, I, I essentially replicated a study that was done for the entire nation and it was done twice. Essentially what the study found, and this is um, Holly Sidford and Alexis Franz, they're part of the Helicon Collaborative. But essentially what they found is like something like 60% um, of all like charitable contributions go to something like 3% of all organizations. Mm. And then, you know, the other 97% of organizations, you know, is left with, you know, relatively a small amount of money. And, wow. you know, I, I often think about why are we not raising this um, as an issue within the art sector more, mm. not just nationally, but locally. Um, you know, I think that this is an important conversation to have, especially as we're going through an economic, um, well, recession, I wouldn't say disaster, but recession um, is maybe well, the word I'm supposed to be using. Um, you know, when like, frankly, this is the time that a lot of institutions are probably going to be pivoting and thinking about or rethinking, I would think, um, you know, some policies, guidelines and other things. Um, so like when we look at this, this slide, for example, we can start to see that like, this is for the St. Louis MSA, which is the 16 county area in St. Louis and Illinois. Um, but, you know, you can see pretty quickly that like 57.6% uh, um, of all of total revenue went to 1% of organizations with 10 million, uh, with budgets of $10 million or more. While, you know, organizations um, with budgets of less than $100,000, which make up 82% of all arts nonprofits um, in the MSA, they only had 2.6% of uh, total revenue. And if you go to slide number two, um, the same thing is true for if you look at assets, which is another big, um, another big indicator um, of how wealth is distributed. Mm -hmm. Like you see a lot of the same stuff. Um, and actually, Rick, do you mind going to slide number three? I don't want to, um, the other way we can look at this too is by discipline, by artistic discipline. And we can start to see like, essentially who is, has compared to their, the number, um, like, you know, performing arts institutions, for example, make up 33.6% of all the arts nonprofits, yet they receive almost 10% more, um, of, of total revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, you can kind of start to get the sense. And I'm not saying that this is like the end all be all, um, of, how to look at funding equity it's rather like this i think is like a place to start in terms of like you know asking questions um about relationship between size and discipline um the study i referenced earlier made a pretty strong argument that eurocentric performing arts institutions um are have you know frankly enjoyed philanthropic support from elites since like oh lord 1880s um, and so we're really like living essentially the, the decisions that have been made by elites over the past hundred years in terms of like what arts organizations are really, really big right now mm. and how much power they have. Um, yeah. In the chat, uh, Denise says, information is power. Liz is bringing the receipts. This is savage. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, and the math. I was going to say, we we just got a note. We didn't yeah, let oh, everyone yeah. know that math was coming. Oh, it no. didn't happen. Here it is. It's a graph. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I apologize for all the math. Yeah. Oh no, 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 not at all. This is this is the hard data we need for sure. 
and, and it gives us a good it gives us something good to um to focus on and 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 to not just conjecture about i think that like conjecturing about this kind of thing it, it's one thing when we have a visual artist on and we're talking about you know the color blue right and it's it's a, a completely subjective experience but like you know to just make broad sweeping statements about these kinds of things out of a place of like anger which is valid but also being able to connect these to um tangible uh you know tangible data um boogie nights in the chat welcome hey good to see you boogie uh, seeing and questioning the distribution of money throughout organizations for quite some time. This is so fulfilling to see this breakdown. Um, so, so again, just that question about like, is this real? Like, is this a sense that we have because, you know, we're broke and we are angry at people with money or is this like an actual, you know, f like structural way that our, uh, communities oh, and man. things are being built, right? Yeah, because I think that like the systems have been built to make you angry. <laughs> yeah. Like as individual artists, like how much has the system been built to benefit you in all reality, other than philanthropic grants, which, yeah, that's great. But like, you know, again, in other in other societies, it's not philanthropy that's supporting artists, it's taxes. It's more sustainable means. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think about that a lot. I think about you know the construction of our system in America and and how much it's decentered the artist uh, within the arts and culture sector itself. Mm -hmm. A couple more ch things from the chat here, and then we'll we'll, we'll dive back into our conversation. Um, how can we disrupt if no one's brave enough to tell the truth or to collect the data? Um, and uh, Gregory Stevens says, I think artists are afraid to speak up because we might not be heard or even such institutions might try to do things to keep us to keep us down and also the connection between um, this and work and health and job uh, says skate mom so um, oh man there's all, so much there very valid points there uh this is the point where i'm going to live up to the rant um let's go yeah so i want to say first and foremost that i think it's a really good question about how you disrupt these systems I think that unfortunately, like throughout the history um, of arts funding in America, it's, you know, we have a really strong power dynamic between funder and grantee. And I think that in a lot of ways, it's, you know, worked to the benefit of the funder for a very, very long time. Um, and I think that, you know, frankly, the, the power in disruption comes from working collectively. Um, and I think that think about something someone told me who worked at a local arts funder. She said, I cannot believe that local artists aren't out on the streets in front of our building every day demanding more, demanding more services, demanding more money, demanding more, you know, you name it. And that really stuck with me. I think that like, it's really interesting to think that we often think about art as political, but in terms of being political, acting in political ways in the arts um, sector is actually really not normalized at all. You know, like how often are you like, you know what, I'm going to go protest at City Hall for more arts funding, for a cultural plan, for, you know, we don't really yeah. think about acting in those ways because to be honest, like there is a history of artists and other people who do try and be political within the art sector of being punished by funders or being punished by government. Um, 
And I think that that's really led to, you know, um, led to us not necessarily thinking about participating in those ways and frankly not being rewarded for participating in those ways for a really long time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't and happen. I'm, right. And I also imagine too that um, those who are, uh, that protest in those ways and then are all still funded anyway, the, the, the lizard people that host, that have the, <laughs> this, this, uh, if I, I, I can, I can be axed for that. You don't have to say, I'll say it so you don't have to, Liz. Uh, that oftentimes if it looks like they're giving leeway in a good way, like, oh, wow, they're like finally coming around, they're doing the right thing, that oftentimes that's because it benefits them in some way, that it's it's only because it benefits them, not necessarily because they finally saw the light. Um, you know, and, and this is a much more broad conversation, but and maybe not one I can fully speak on, but it's certainly one I've been very suspect of uh, whenever major corporations have kind of in, embraced groups such as like Black Lives Matter or other ones um, that, you know, on the surface, it does have the promotional, uh, they're using their money for technically a pragmatically a good thing that it is being shown on, you know, on the NBA courts, like it says Black Lives Matter, that is important, that is something, but oftentimes, you know, well, what does the NBA gain to benefit from doing that? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that maybe is a whole other conversation, but just to broaden cheap, that scope uh, for those maybe marketing. who aren't, exactly. Um, yeah. and, and for those maybe watching who aren't as familiar with like artist spaces, like, you know, these are, these obviously happen in every way, shape and form, regardless of where uh, these, these positions of power and, and finance happen for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think that's very true. And I, I think that that's a real, real power move to be able to co-opt that message and be able to use it for your own benefit, right? Like they, they, they are totally flexing when they do that. Like, yeah. you know, we're gonna be relevant and maintain essentially our power because the way we can do that is by throwing you a couple, whatever the donation is that they're going to make, doesn't mean right. that they're going to change their practices internally. It doesn't, you know, it's like the most, um, unsatisfying <laughs> like surface level shit you can do to like make people be quiet well and Absolutely. i, I want to build a bridge from that to this idea of um giving in the arts so i think that there's this idea that like the arts are meant to be given to and and that there's the, it's like and i i know you probably have much different definitions of these words than me but th what it, how it feels like for me is that like art you know, like supporting art is like giving, not funding. And like, there's this idea of like, oh, I'm a better person because I'm uh, a member of the St. Louis Art Museum, which like I am, and I do think I am. But I, I don't know if there's anything in that where there's, there's kind of this tent of like giving versus like actively participating um, or like uh, the other point of like, it shouldn't require giving like it should be funded it should be um valued intrinsically in like our society and and separating those ideas yeah yeah that makes me think of two different things the first is that like yeah i am a member of like basically every arts institution i can be in st louis because i believe in them and i want to support them um, I think that there's a real, you know, in, in America, I think that we've, I've mentioned this before. Um, I think it's really interesting. And when I say America, I'm also like reflecting upon the local level as well. Mm -hmm. Like this incorporates how St. Louis works. Um, is that, you know, our systems are set up so that, you know, philanthropy is the answer um, to a lot of pretty much, you know, is, is a huge reason 
a funding mechanism for arts institutions and as is individual giving. Um, and I think that something that's really important here is I think there's this idea in uh, political science of social construction. Like what is the social construction of artists um, or art even um, in our society? It is so much different than I think, you know, if you look at other Western European countries or other countries that fund the arts through taxes as opposed through primarily through philanthropy. And I think the idea there is like, there is this idea of artists as being dependent and deviant which I think really puts them um, at the periphery of our society, right? Like, um, I, you know, if we were to really center on artists, I think that we wouldn't be talking about their instrumental benefit, which is like, oh man, artists are great. They put so much in the economy and they can teach kids things. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But like, if I'm being honest, a lot of other sectors can make the argument about economic impact. You know, what makes the arts unique is that um, there's emotions and feelings and like, you know, this idea of social cohesion has been really big lately around what art can do. And if those things are important to us, then why do we continue to fund them in a way that is um, frankly unreliable, um, insufficient, um, that frankly is trying to like more so privatize, I think, than make public uh, these responsibilities uh, responsibilities as in you know funding these different artists or arts institutions um and you know if we really wanted to sit back and look at these systems i would argue that you know this is true of all philanthropy um that really it's a byproduct of capitalism <laughs> like mm -hmm. you know we're living through a second golden age of philanthropy right now because we're also living through extreme wealth inequality mm -hmm. um and oftentimes the more people make uh the more they'll give away and frankly, that's not a sustainable model for funding the arts, especially if we consider it. I think the other social construction piece of this is that, you know, artists have been defined as dependent um, and frankly, like are not very positively socially constructed in our society. Mm -hmm. um, but the other part of it, too, is that I think art has really been defined as this like elitist siloed thing. And yeah, giving to it might make you feel warm and fuzzy, but for the most part, um, it's really upholding, you know, these inequitable systems that are incredibly biased. Yeah. And, Is that enough for you? And then, <laughs> and, and that's like, keep it coming. <laughs> there's like, uh, the, you know, then we get into what, what you said of like artists being seen as like deviant and then the, 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 the morality of capitalist giving, like the morality of philanthropy is like inextricably tied to that giving, like which institutions and organizations fit like. Per the perfect morality to go on uh, a hidden sitemap page of charitable giving for one of these massive tech companies. Like, you know, where, where do they align best in the morality of, of this particular oligarch or centibillionaire or uh, other things that I'm getting from the chat when, when like these deviant dependent artists are, as Denise says, needing GoFundMes for medical bills? Right. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit, right? <laughs> so that someone had to say it. <laughs> that morality inside of that philanthropy is, and I think that that's a sticky subject inside of like art as a public good. But it's also like a really, really Im important thing to talk about. And I don't know if we're getting too far away from the local level, but I think that it really does apply. No, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll bring it back to the local level. Um, and I want to say really quickly that like in the arts too. 
there is like a perversion even within philanthropy itself of who is who is worthy and that is to say that like in the arts we artistic merit and quality are often given um, the highest consideration in funding and oftentimes when you look at other philanthropal philanthropal made up a word mm. uh philanthropic sectors uh like any social services it's based on need right so like artists have to make um their argument for why they are worth funding based on artistic quality which is oftentimes very eurocentric mm. um as opposed to like you could look at any other sector where they're like actually who needs the money um and that's not based on artistic merit at all so i think that there's also like these really weird things that happen um within that have developed and you know really rule the art sector as they don't um other sectors as well yeah yeah for sure and um I, 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 I don't know. I just, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I think that yeah. the thing that really caught me was also, you know, like morality has so many, many different definitions and that, that specific reality of that definition of, of the morality of the Eurocentrism and, you know, like the ethnocentrism of philanthropy is like, I, I wasn't even, I was just thinking of like in general terms of like, you know, sh smearing shit on a canvas for a good reason or or like vulgarity and like nudity or pornography. But I I mean, even more so than that, like the intense like ethnocentrism of the the whiteness in the art, you know, and, and, and that being that being a divisor. Yeah, and but you can see that in terms of policy outputs, right? Like who has the most sure. money? Actually, Iraq released um, Regional Arts Commission released a report two years ago now, like they're going through their cultural planning, and they hired a very well-known independent researcher who found that St. Louis has more larger arts institutions than like comparable sectors, and also that we have no black-led arts institutions with budgets over one million dollars. Wow! And those are very scary things. Like while generally speaking across the country, we don't look that inequitable. Frankly, inequity is pretty common in the art sector, no matter where you go. We fit right Those two in. Things are specific. It's good to we fit, fit in. right in. Well, I love right? fitting in. <laughs> um, but those are those are real things for St. Louis, especially I think when you think about you know how representative that is of our population. Mm. Um, and it really you know I think you can start to connect. What I'm really interested in is kind of twofold. One is being able to connect um, criteria, like policy grant criteria, policy eligibility to these larger policy outcomes. Um, I think that that's, you know, making those connections is, is pretty important to be able to understand the impact of our funding systems on the landscape. Um, because there are, there is um, systematic, these results aren't, these results are intentional. They are part of, they are outputs of the system, right? Like there is a reason these things exist, mm -hmm. that we have so much inequity. Uh, so we have to go back and ask why and what is, you know, really the mechanism for making those things possible. Mm. And I policy oh, centered, sorry. but go ahead, Jay. Sorry, um, I, I recall going to um, a talk uh, that was presented by the Arch City Defenders um, that basically kind of just talked about like, basically the, the city budget and how it's set up and, and 
you know, how little is is put towards like social services, but yet how much is put towards uh, policing and things of that nature. Uh, and the, the staggering data of, you know, how long one bar was compared to the other. And I think how, you know, social services was certainly like very minute compared to like, like a hundred versus one, something equivalent to that size. And I think that, you know, when those numbers look pretty darn similar to the ones that we're seeing right now up, up on the screen, um, it, you know, I think that if nothing else, like we don't need to draw, you know, comparisons. That's just like, just show us the data, you know? And I think that maybe the re like on top of the reasons why the data isn't collected is because we don't want y'all to know that, <laughs> mm -hmm. you yeah. know, it's so much that it's, it's not so much that, you know, again, there's this, like, it feels like it is, it sounds like it is, but I, let's look at the data. And then of course, inevitably it looks exactly the same in terms of how these things happen. And uh, I'm sure one of us was going to say this, this, this phrase, as this often does come up is, you know, uh, the, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. So if you are having to do it on your own and on your own reconnaissance, and frankly, I think, you know, in, in terms of academia, Liz, like what you're doing with this, I think a hundred percent bats away at, at these, uh, uh, these inequities and this need. And uh, Rick, I just have to say, uh, I was thinking about the travel agency. It's like, you're beholden to literally no one, mm -hmm. you know, like to make this profile, like we have to go out and do it ourselves, mm -hmm. which is incredible and wonderful in the culture of DIY. However, um, it also feels like, you know, I think what we're bumping up against too is like, well, why won't I just be given money? Why won't I, why won't we value these things? You know, it's not just so much that the data there that shows that we don't value it. It's also the why we don't value it. Yeah. Give and, me a little you know, seed I, money. Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> just like a little, just a little UBI just for like a, a brief moment to make, to see if this works or not. Right. Just, yeah. just a little pittance. Toss me a coin out of your pocket. Because <laughs> it's really all it is in, in the scope said. of yeah. that. Like, to to make it work and and i'll take this opportunity to say you know with with our with our resident artists and the fundraising that we'll be doing it like twitch is like a data centered a data centric platform so like we are able to leverage data and collect data on every residency and package that data in a way that's appropriate to artists to see like the effectiveness of their project within the larger scope of the travel agency and we can set certain metrics you know and and it and it's good because I think that some organizations will like the la the level of data metrics that we can produce and provide. But but um, I think that that's like really important as as a way of like giving place and space to artists is understanding impact. And that's not to say that it doesn't have intrinsic value. But you can you can combine those elements into efficacy. Um, and and I will just note for the sake of uh, sort of NPR style uh, thing, uh, Twitch is owned by Amazon. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> despite, despite all of the amazing things we just said and the tools that Twitch does actually bequeath to you incredibly so, uh, this this is owned it's by Amazon. An analytics surveillance tool. Which sucks, but you know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, but then uh, then that brings us to policy. And I think that brings us to one of, one of the core
Okay, sorry, sorry. Y'all are there? Yeah, one, one second. I, you can hear me. They can't hear you, though. Correct. But I couldn't hear. Yeah, just one second. I think everything briefly broke. Hey, y'all, we're just going to take a quick little break here. We'll be right back when we get this technical issue sorted out. hundred percent. No, we can't. We can use data to understand how horrible systems are. Yeah, <laughs> horrible institutions are. And and yeah, it's. Um, I think it's also like there's a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot more interest in like ownership. And, yeah. And oh, hey, Rick. Hello. Cool. 
Hello, everyone. Um, we did it. We're back. Uh, let me just quickly, um, you know, everything just breaks all at once sometimes. Like literally two things broke at the same time. Uh, my audio interface and Discord just both like took a dump. So now that they're clean and clear and under control, welcome back, y'all. Um, Hello. Thank you. I think that uh, the consensus in chat is um, we said bad things about very important people, that there's yeah, some sort of did. audio filtering Amazon Alexa app that is, uh, is ruining us. Definitely. The overlords are always listening, so... <laughs> Um, but yes, I think that everyone can hear you all. Let me just make. Oh, Liz, could you say something for our producer? Oh, hi. Okay. Yeah, hi, producer. That should be. Hey, that you? should be fine. No, Tiffany is the oh. the producer behind the producer. Wait a minute. There's people I didn't even know. Yeah, there's like a little here? glass room. <laughs> that we, I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, thank you all okay. for sticking around, hanging out. Um, we were just getting into this, uh, the beginnings of this um, policy discussion, or I mean, not really the beginnings, but we were getting to this point where we were talking about policy. And um, importantly, you know, in, in some of our first conversations, when you're saying like, you know, lobbying for artist rights or, or having people involved, like, arts in the conversation with our uh public officials and, and, and like that just like did not compute with me at all it's like you know was, i i didn't hear bernie sanders say anything about uh about like more fun i mean he probably did but the the loudest and most outspoken person and supporting like community action and on the presidential level in a long time i i don't remember a sound bite of bernie saying like you know make artists great again or whatever um definitely the language he would have used yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. but in our in our conversations you were bringing up that like that there can be a relationship there that can be something that artists consider is politicians officials who consider them people who consider the work that they do valuable yeah and i would say are able to appreciate and work with all aspects of their personhood, right? Because like being an artist is one aspect of your personhood. Mm. Um, and it's really important to make policy around that. But I think it's also important to recognize that artists, for example, make a whole lot less than other, other professions. Um, and if we consider them valuable to our society, and that probably means we need to talk about healthcare. It probably means we need to talk about minimum wage. We probably need to talk about a lot of other things that relate to art, like relate to artists, but frankly, mm. to lots of other people as well. Like they are both connected um, to and within, you know, you know, the arts. And I think that, you know, frankly, people have been able to keep art off the agenda, whether we're talking about the local political agenda or the national agenda, because they've been able to characterize um, art as being for elites. They characterize it as artists being these dependent deviants, right? Mm -hmm. Not as necessarily productive members of society as I'm as I think other people um, who are much more undeserving of that title get. Um, and I think it's because artists are seen as oftentimes being less powerful, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think that it's, it's really a point in time where we need to reckon with, with this. 
Uh, I think particularly at the local at the local level, we have a mayoral election coming up, um, and I think it's time for the arts to be on the agenda. Um, beyond what can the arts do um, for St. Louis in terms of like tourism or economics, like yeah, sure we can have that conversation. But I'm happy to, but like let's also have the conversation as well about you know, if that, if artists are valued and if you value cultural tourism, you value these other things, then you probably need to value artists having healthcare and you probably need to value childcare and all these other things that are, you know, 100% impacting artists. Hmm. Yeah. The broadening of that, I think is, is, um, important for us to think about. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, privileged in a lot of what I have as, as a resource to make art and, um, you know, as far as like life being able to live and sustain myself through through means. So often, you know, it, it's a it's a helpful reminder to challenge those ideas when it comes to other people who are making work, other people who would love to be artists, but don't find any infrastructure there to support them is you. I mean, you can't do it if you don't have environmental support. I, we see that time and time again with with artists on our branches. Is it like the environment, the environmental support, even like from an early age often, but as, as they grow into schools and institutions, that environmental support is just, is pivotal for them. And well, I think it'd be an even, sorry, more basic level. Like, I think that there's a lot of lessons people learn about who is and is not an artist very early on. Yeah. Like, you know, if we consider artists to be people who can self-support or self-sustain um, or have the means to like, or the privilege to be able to do what we consider art, um, then I think we have a pretty, um, a pretty small definition of art and we're thinking about art pretty small. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how can we make that more inclusive? And I, I, I think, you know, that really limits cultural participation and, and delegitimizes um, a lot of people out there who probably very well art art are artists they just we haven't constructed ways in which they can see themselves as artists Absolutely. yeah and i mean it under it undermines our community organization like to get kind of far away from the point real quick is is that like deconstructing community ritual and deconstructing like collaborative community creativity i mean is is like who benefits from that and I think that there are answers to that question. And yeah. And what yeah. I may say, and just this is a this would be a rant that I would like to go on, but I am not going to, but I will keep to this is like something I've been trying to think about, like the arts uh as a public health uh issue. Um and, and maybe in some ways specifically public art um as a as a government funded good. Um, that you know, if we can highly fund public art, um, you know, why why stop there and go and fund the, the artists? Of our community as well, um, that those going hand in hand, uh, you know, the public health of, of something or of a community is kind of everything we're talking about. It's it's not just the physical well-being, but also the societal well-being. And if you are feeling good and you are funded and you are, have a home and you're able to have you know intercommunal um, meetings and feel that you're heard and that there's power, that like you want to create art. You know, like it, it fun, it fuels the joy of this, the, the love, the, the friendships, the, the partnerships that you're able to form, um, and, and again, as like a public good, um, beyond all of that. And, um, that's, that's something I, I've certainly been thinking a lot about is kind of the, uh, 
someone had to use the word intersection um, of, you know, like kind of arts and public health in those spaces. Um, and especially, uh, at least for me, uh, funding something like Medicare for All uh, would be deeply important and would, would absolutely lend itself to that of uh, funding arts and arts communal uh, prospects. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Sorry, I said I wasn't going to go on a rant, but yeah. I kind of did. So. <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. And Me too, Liz. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to read a few messages from the chat, and we're going to take our next break, if that's okay with you all. So, um, so yeah, Skate Mom says, all of that struggle is a shame because the world depends on art to move and to exist. Um, Denise says, heart and soul, physical and mental health is intertwined. And... There's no graphic artists without drawing. There's no TV shows without drama. You know, it's, I mean, we can, yeah. we see it everywhere. Isn't it, it's crazy that we like value the product so much, but we don't value the people behind it. Like, yeah. right. I don't think that's a really sad thing. Well, um, we're going to leave you there and yeah. in a space to, to we're contemplate. We're going to leave on a sad that. note. Some time to <laughs> contemplate. And I'm going to switch over. Switching over here. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, chat, you all have been killing it today. Uh, really, really great um, pace and cadence and adding things to the conversation. So thank you, chat. Thank you for uh, really helping this make a great art brunch today. Um, we're going to take a short break for 10 minutes. You can expect us back here again at about... 1213 where we'll wrap up our conversation with um with liz about policy and then we'll move into everyone's not so favorite favorite section 10 questions of triumph and then we will let you all get on with your day greg no thank you we'll be right back Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for hanging out across the break. I hope you had time to pop some popcorn or uh, make another pot of coffee and subsequently like drink that other pot of coffee. Um, speaking of mugs, uh, we have eight mugs left, eight travel agency mugs left on the website. You can go check out our website here. Uh, they're $17.50 with free shipping. If you're interested in getting one of the eight remaining travel agency mugs, um, go try that. They, t they, they work well. They're very mug-like. <laughs> We're going to get back into the show here and uh, start with a slide that um, Liz requested we show everyone. So we will start here with this. If it's a little hard to read the text, the title of the, uh, of the slide is Cultural Public Charities by Size and Median Household Income 2015. Uh, trigger warning, there's math <laughs> involved in this slide. Yeah, um, it's all you, so you math, like one of my math lords out there. Get ready, pen and paper. Pen and paper. Um, so I, I kind of, I wanted to build off of what we were talking about before we left about the idea of community and policy. Um, and I think that sometimes it's really helpful to like see uh, where arts and culture nonprofits are. So this is St. Louis City and County. Um, and essentially what I've mapped out is household median income. Which, um, it gets darker green, the more money uh, people have. 
Um, and then I've also plotted out uh, the size of arts nonprofits um, and where they're located in St. Louis City and County. And something I think about a lot is obviously the physical uh, location, because I think that when we're talking about community, we're talking about um, who has voice and who might be concerned about policy. Um, a lot of times it's dependent upon, you know, how closely, uh, what kind of relationship you have uh, with an arts nonprofit and how you interact with them. Um, and, you know, we know through, through theory that like arts and culture nonprofits tend to be centralized um, and cities tend to be near universities. Um, and so like what we're seeing is not atypical at all. Um, but I think that it starts to raise a whole lot of questions because like, for example, there are no large arts nonprofits um, like North in North St. Louis, you know, or in far South St. Louis, um, you know, and we can certainly, I think one of my pet peeves is we often um, a lot of arts nonprofits or other people will, you know, well, like, who's your audience? They'll be like, well, everyone is. And I'm like, mm, is that, is that true though? Like if you're located, you know, in whatever zip code you're located in, are you really serving one that's like 50 miles away? Probably, probably not. Um, in theory, you would like to, but probably not. Um, and so I think that this starts to get to me to the idea of uh, the dynamics between who we are as a population in St. Louis City and County, um, the arts nonprofits um, and our relationships to arts nonprofits, both in terms of size and location. Um, and it's pretty clear that like, you know, if you're interested in talking about arts nonprofits, you're going to be talking about like a very small part of St. Louis City and County in terms of physical location. Like, yes, people can travel to them. Um, yes, they might have outreach programs that go to other places, but I think it matters a whole lot about where they are located, you know, like their physical location matters. Mm. And I think you can really start to see that, like, for lack of a better word, there are some nonprofit arts deserts out there, right? Like, mm. there are some places where, like, really isn't a whole lot going on and you know that's not unrelated um a lot of times to like household medium income or other things um i think that you know when i start to think about the mayoral election that's coming up and i start to think about getting you know the arts on the agenda um i think about this map because it makes me think about like who's going to be likely to show up or who will not be showing up if we talk about um, arts and cultural policy. Um, and it really makes me think that like, you know, it's going to be likely that like artists really need to be the forerunners um, of making political demands, especially in the upcoming mayoral election or really be active um, in terms of organization. Um, because there are a lot of folks out there who frankly, as, as citizens, as audience members or participants, however you want to talk about them, like they're frankly just not included. Um, and you know, I think that uh, artists, in particular, arts administrators, um, and people who do, you know, who are supporters or patrons, um, you know, really need to be leading. Um, well, I should say that they're most likely to lead the conversation. Do they need to be leading it? I don't know. They probably need to be sharing that responsibility. Um, but I think it's the idea that, like, we can start to see that there are some real dynamics in St. Louis that are influencing who does and does not have access. Um, to arts nonprofits. And, you know, when I start to think about this policy question, it makes me think about who's going to turn up when we start to talk about um, what arts policy looks like on the agenda. Um, I think that we need to consider inclusivity and representation, of course. Um, but also, you know, we need to deal with the reality that 
you know, as much as location matters and as much as size matters, I think we're also in this really crazy time where some of those things have don't matter as much, right? Because uh, we don't really live in a time right now where physical location <laughs> matters maybe as much as it used to when you can't even go to, um, I would say probably something like 60% or 50% um, of these arts nonprofits. Um, you can't go to their physical location right now. Um, so this is both to say like, while these things are strong, some of these things have also really been cut off for the time being, especially for the mayoral election. Mm. It also makes me think that like a lot of sectors right now are making some really strong cases um, about why they need to be um, on the political agenda. And frankly, like, I don't think anyone has a better case than arts and culture. Um, whether we're talking about um, arts nonprofits or music venues or artists, like, you know, we don't have quantitative studies. I am using my gut right now to some extent. Um, well, I should, uh, let me backpedal on that because I, <laughs> I definitely have researched this. Um, we do know right now that like, as of October, I wanna say like 46% um, of artists reported not having um, enough savings to pay for basic needs by 2021. Um, I don't know what other industries look like, but that's a pretty staggering number. Um, and it really makes me think that, you know, as we move into this mayoral election, it's not just about getting the arts on the agenda, but getting the arts on the agenda because there is extreme need right now. Um, and that there are a whole lot of, yes, nonprofit institutions, but I would argue more so artists um, who are experiencing circumstances they may not have ever experienced before in their lives. And frankly, they don't have the means because of the systems around them um, a lot of times to weather the storm. It, it seems to me like a lot of people are talking about um, like notably on like uh, forcing a vote sort of uh, in, in the national scale for this to be an opportunity to get Medicare for all on, uh, on, the, on the docket. And uh, a lot of people are saying, no, 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 take the time, get, make the, shake the hands, like get in the back rooms, do what you can't infiltrate, quote unquote, when really it's kind of just, I, I, again, this is my opinion, not saying this is the way it is, but that um, a lot of people see there's immense value in just kind of like, well, everything's double bad now. You know, it's not just that arts funding was already bad. Now we have an opportunity to not only fund artists out of need, out of necessity, which was always there, but it's extremely, it's, 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 it's clear now how, how the, ne the necessity has been, I think, in the world. Um, and for us to take our little chunk of the pie here to say that, you know, artists are those people too, and that what better time as an opportunity as things are reduced and being refocused that we can kind of frankly shove through, do whatever we can to make that be on the docket when in other times uh, they can kind of use the sort of um, uh, everyday life of stuff to be like, well, that's not something we really talk about. We've got a lot of other stuff to deal with. Well, now everything's on the table. I like to think this is an opportunity to rethink these things, um, especially, you know, and, and yes, it is a crisis, but it is absolutely an opportunity to reshape these things, uh, both, I think, locally, statewide, nationally, for sure. Yeah, um, you're actually, so my dissertation is about agenda setting and issue framing within the arts. Wow. And so you're like tapping into something that we talk about a lot in agenda setting, which is the 
crises actually present really important opportunities to get things on the agenda. But oftentimes it takes a crisis in order to shake up the existing systems enough and move away from the status quo um, to be able to create policy change. Now, oftentimes it goes with um, a couple of other things in terms of like, you can talk about how um, big the conflict is, i.e. like how many people are involved. The more people that become involved often also increases the chance for policy change. So that's where the collective action piece comes in. I don't think that it can be, um, you know, a singular person talking about um, the arts in St. Louis City and County. It needs to be a pretty broad coalition of folks. And I want to shout out to Citizen Artists St. Louis, who in the last mayoral election was a group of really wonderful um, artists, arts practitioners, arts administrators, you name it, a really broad swath of people came together to organize um, a mayoral debate, make sure that each mayoral candidate addressed the arts. Um, and I thought that that was a really powerful moment where, you know, it was kind of, to my knowledge, and again, I, I don't have a short lifespan, um, is, you know, one of the few times in St. Louis where that's really, you know, that art and politics have really intersected in that way before. Um, and I hope, yeah. that, I hope that it can happen again. That's amazing. Yeah, just an, an opportunity, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm happy to even hear hear about that and and understand, you know, for myself, like where to go, where to get involved. I see that they have a Facebook page here um, and a a link to. Uh, it seems like maybe yes. a face Facebook page. And, I'm not sure. Um, maybe they're maybe it's still going. I I don't know, but there there are resources, and we can connect and um, share share some of those things through through the travel agency infrastructure as well. So uh, keep an eye out for that because I mean it's hard to be the first one, and and the most important one is the second one. I think, and a lot of a lot of ways, it's like the first follower is is more important in a lot of ways than the person with the idea or the person you know with that's that's starting this kind of thing and. And then we can all kind of pile on onto that if I want to, you know, be hopeful, Rick, at the moment, which I do. I like <laughs> being hopeful, Rick. But yeah. I love yeah. the idea of like lobbying for it. It's like government is, you know, for the people. I mean, like we're the ones that are supposed to have control over over what's going on. And and I I, th I think that the other point that I wanted to make is that creativity and innovation community innovation is under attack right now i mean we can look at it through the restaurant industry of uh it's just like the clearest most easy one to see is that innovation is going away and and what moves into you know what moves into that struggling restaurants real estate when they go and once you put a boston market in there it's never gonna not be a boston market again except the one on Clayton Road is no longer Boston Market, which is the only Boston Market I've ever seen close. So wow. maybe there is possibilities for the future, or that's indicative of how bad the crisis really is. Yeah, and something that I mean, something that scares me a whole lot is you know there, well, a lot of the small arts nonprofits we see on this map won't be here mm -hmm. any longer um, after this year. Um, we're looking at a pretty high closure rate of arts and profits, especially the smallest ones, which to me are like, that's what gets me excited, like about studying arts and culture sector is the really small arts and profits organizations that um, I think are much more, they tend to be more community centered. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And I think about, 
you know, what does it mean to, to have to lose those? Um, what does it mean to have no small arts nonprofits in a lot of zip codes anymore? Um, that's a real, that's a real possibility. Um, and they're also like, I, as much as I hate to talk about this, but it's very true. Like a lot of these, um, arts nonprofits also are employers and they have canceled so many contracts that artists rely on. Um, it's like the number one thing that essentially arts nonprofits were doing to cut their expenses was cutting, um, any kind of like outside vendors. And that's a lot of times how artists are employed, not as full-time employees but is like 1099 part-time or hourly employees mm. absolutely mm. well and yeah. two i think just one more last thing for me on the um opportunity thing is that like in a lot of ways i think these artists and artist collectives like maybe did have something to lose at a time when you know the status quo was happening which is to say non uh plague times uh that you know they can kind of the the powers that be can use the status quo as as a as a means of defense basically and now it's like we are literally going to have to shut down which we were probably close to or always struggling with in status quo time but now it's like we literally need to fight so the i think the fierceness and the collective action that these groups can come together to hopefully make this happen while of course still bleeding you know and losing folks and losing patronage and losing funding as you know funding is is just is gone but at this time too i think it's an opportunity to kind of um, when you have nothing left to lose, we're already, it's like, we're, we're literally going to shut down, you know? So we need to jump into these spaces to where, um, we can, we can make our voices heard, you know, and, and, and basically grab land, do a, I do a, I do an, uh, a power grab in the sense of just like, we're in your face now and you have to deal with us. Uh, too brutal comes to mind. Yeah. Yes. That's, um, <laughs> yeah, I think like... brutal for sure. Uh, which just uh, briefly on that, just so everyone knows, that was Rick's uh, AIM handle. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the inside jokes, we want to keep everyone inside with us. So T00BR00T4L. <laughs> so we're getting too brutal for sure. Um, the, last, the last thing I want to say too is I think this is an opportunity to reframe um, the arts at the local level, right? Like I feel, as I've said before, like I feel like, you know, the normative frame for like arts is outside of government and it's outside of because I think a lot of times it's framed as this like it's the you know it's this elitist thing that exists for certain people um it is not inclusive et cetera, et cetera. and I think this is a real chance to say and, and you know artists are essentially their support is privatized like I think it's a real chance to say no artists are part of society art is part of society and that doesn't mean museums that means you know these small community organizations are just as important yeah um and i think that that's a really that's a really big piece of it and that's not easy work but it's it's lord's work it's yeah. it's it needs to happen shout out to them you know and mm -hmm. shout out to the people that support them you know when they're not getting support from other places and these these communities that that we form and there's a lot of cool, I mean, a lot of power there, a lot of power there. And, and yeah, I like that. They're doing, they're doing the work, you know, that's, it's like the infrastructure is these small organizations are, are so flexible and can adjust and stretch and dance in the ways that like their communities need them to dance. Um, I've got a few comments yeah. here in chat. Uh, Denise, says always a breakdown before a breakthrough get ready to imagineer the world you want to leave live in 
Um, and there was also a nice audible meow. It was not Virgil meowing. It was Liz's kitty meowing, I believe. Uh, Gwyn Ginger says, no question or comment, just a big fan of Liz and her work. Uh, Denise That's says, my sister! <laughs> Denise says, she's an art queen for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get the love from the mom. There we go. Paying oh, the mom tag. Man. Thanks, Gwyn. Thanks for coming to the stream fam. today. It's, uh, it's awesome to have you here. And I don't know if you are ever on Twitch, but thanks for being here and being a part of our community today. Um, we are going to move into our final segment, which is the 10 questions of triumph. I don't have a special video intro for that one yet. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 f I figured two would be too much to spring on Jake spur of the moment. Um, oh, it's, so yeah, next time, thank you. next time maybe we'll have, we'll have a short, video of me drinking a bloody mary out of like a large golden trophy or something Here uh, we go. and um also i wanted to ask the chat you know so um liz really is interested in answering your questions as well about the st louis art scene about uh st louis in institution and infrastructure in reference to the arts and um she's definitely capable of answering at least some of those questions probably has some insight on anything that you'd ask. So if you all have questions for Liz, now's the time to start feeding them into the chat and we'll kind of intersperse them with our uh, 10 silly questions uh, of triumph. Of triumph, yes. <laughs> um, these questions have nothing to do with, with triumph, really. <laughs> so, so Liz. Oh God, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> what is a triumphing question? Yes. Um, so uh, the the first question that we ask is, what is one simple thing that you're trying to get good at right now? Oh, I got that one. Uh, I'm trying to perfect my samosa recipe. It is super hard to fold the samosa so that it looks really beautiful. Mine kind of like end up looking like a pinch pot that a third grader made, um, <laughs> you know, and not like this beautiful thing. So I've been working on my samosa recipe. Yeah. I'm really hoping 2021 is the year that I like, I perfect the triangle fold. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Everest cafe, really great folded shaped formed samosas. So I thought you, I thought that was like some I, strange, I didn't, I like couldn't connect what that was for a second. I thought it was like, mimosa like some sort of yeah. like mimosa with an s and i was like well what is what is, what is this drink that you're perfecting well and there's there's always the when someone says samosa you think of mimosa and then you think of the samoa cookie of the you know um uh girl scouts um you know so there's always that kind of like is it a cookie is it a drink is but, it a delicious potato typically based i think yeah uh thing potato uh, treat. yes exactly um, Denise in the chat says, what is your top of mind priority for January, 2021? Ooh, what a good question. Um, okay. I'm doing this project right now where we're evaluating an arts and healing program. And so I'm really interested in being able to connect intrinsic, um, or emotional change, uh, to arts-based therapies or not even therapies 
they they range from art therapy to like just art programming mm. um, but the idea that we can measure things like empathy or social cohesion um, or other things as like outcomes of art um, and this kind of goes back to the conversation around um, you know intrinsic versus instrumental value of the arts we talk a whole lot about instrumental value of the arts I think that I'm really excited to be able to talk about intrinsic value of the arts cool um our next question from the travel agency is what is your favorite type of gum <laughs> okay oh. this is going to be so great the way we're doing this we're just i'm so happy this is the way this is going okay go ahead liz sorry <laughs> uh i'm really i'm glad to have this question um because i love gum and i have to say it's probably double mint peppermint so specifically okay um Gum is like my my go to afternoon thing. Like it's like become part of my day. Wow. Okay. Cool. What are your I thoughts like on mm -hmm. uh, five gum? No. <sighs> <laughs> that wasn't even like. I didn't even give it a chance. Um, don't I don't like. No. Just yeah. Like, yeah. No. Just nothing else. Just a no. Just okay. no. Just no. Don't do it. All right. Respect. Honestly, at that point, wow. I chewed a piece of gum the other day, and my jaw hurt for, like, four days afterwards. Oh, my gosh, Rick. So, You're getting old. What's happening? <laughs> or that gum was yeah, made of concrete or something. Or the gum. <laughs> I have a I, – I just I just can't quite – I just can't quite chew gum anymore. Yeah. It's um, hard. Bad for my jaw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll keep the pace going uh, for kind of lighthearted questions. Um, Liz, have you ever successfully completed a game of Monopoly? I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, probably one time. Um, I am going to really quickly though divert and say, <gasps> Nico, with Thank the you. four months. Thanks, Nico. Good to see you. Good to see you here. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining the stream. Cabin crew member for four months. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah. Time. It is. Um, I will say, I did want to say really quickly that the last version of Monopoly I played was a St. Louis nonprofit version of Monopoly, which I thought was like the most St. Louis shit ever. <laughs> like, yeah. To make your own, to oh, think you're important enough for your own Monopoly game. Like, Oh my gosh. We got a little wow. sub train going here. Skate Mom with the tier one for two months. Thanks, Skate Mom. Thanks for the sub. Cabin well, crew member I'm, for two months. I'm briefly curious. So uh, the St. Louis nonprofits, which, which ones were involved? And then were you buying nonprofits as you went along? Um, all right. I'll be honest. I didn't play. Okay. I looked at the... <laughs> I looked at the <laughs> we're calling you out. Now. At the like, box. Yeah. Um. I, well, no, I think we broke it out. And I want to say it was more like, you know, you didn't re meet your fundraising goal, you know, go back however much. And it was like really sad. I was gonna it was say, really real. That sounds depressing, yeah. like too real. Like that's too close to real life. Yeah, it, it wasn't fun anymore because I was like, this is like every day. Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't a game. Yes. Uh, the thing that's worse about Monopoly to me is like very rarely do you ever have like a moment where there's like a big roll 
and you land on Park Place and it just like obliterates the final person. It's always just this like slow bleeding process, this like <laughs> bloodletting process of like running out of money and then like running out of credit and then running out of assets to sell. And you're like, wow, like this is this is poverty. This is, you know, this is me being stripped of all of my wealth slowly over the course of an hour. Like you see the end out in the distance. There's no way that there's enough luck in the world for you to 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 win. Um, which I'm is trying to really remember. Familiar. Yeah, but I think the origins of Monopoly were like to promote socialism or something or to show like the the extreme horribleness of capitalism. Yeah, so there was that game and the, that game was shared in like academic circles. But then the guy that Milton Bradley credits as the inventor of that game stole that game from a woman and made it about capitalism and started selling it and it was this big uh this big thing and now like Milton Bradley talks about him as like this awesome like figure there's a 99% invisible uh episode I think on on that so it's like very mm. reflexive mm. wow everything's evil and everything <laughs> sucks <laughs> Uh, Everything is terrible. Wow. Sage is a sloth, not 18 in the chat says, have you ever solved a Rubik's cube? No. And I've, I don't think I've ever tried. So maybe that's part of why I haven't solved one. Yeah. Um, but, but I would like to, that seems like a great thing to like, great hobby. Yeah. Like, especially during pandemic times. Like, Just do it once, on you know, you can do it once, see how it feels. I, I solved one in my life, and then I was like, that's enough. Uh, there is a really great um, mini documentary, 45 minutes on Netflix, about s speed cubers. So mm. I, I definitely want to shout out that documentary. It's really good. Uh, Wiswald says, my dad would murder me on Park Place with so many hotels. <laughs> <laughs> Dads, am I right? Yeah. Dads, it gets tough Just, out there. Always, always going for the win, never mm -hmm. going for the fun. <laughs> um, get back to our 10 questions here. Uh, Liz, what is a, uh, other than what you do, what would be a dream job? No holds barred. Oh, this is really easy. Uh, music supervisor. Ooh. I've like always, always, always wanted to do that. And I think, well, that an epic fantasy author. So, like, if I could split my time mm. between being a music supervisor and an epic fantasy author, I I would. That would be like the best life. Yeah, I think that is there's there, uh... not enough focus on like epic fantasy musicians in the world. <laughs> like, there's sometimes I just want to hear like the Dark Tower series, but like set to like sweeping guitar solos, like Tool, but mm. like about like the like a, a tool mini al album about like the dark tower and hmm. you know it's all kind of like intermingled so i don't know if you know any epic fantasy rock mu musician bands but send them my way if you if you come across them there, there's a little synergy there potentially uh, yeah i got i got some stuff uh but yeah i think that's fertile ground for like wait a minute maybe maybe those two things do overlap yeah. <laughs> i always thought about them separately but like hold the phone you're like ghost writing for this like ensemble of 12 musicians, like three guitarists and, and you're ghost writing your fantasy novel into their artistic career. But what is a music supervisor? 
Uh, they're common in like film and TV, but oftentimes they're the ones who get to like, um, they're kind of the final say on like the music for the entire uh, film and or episode series or whatever it is. Um, but they're mostly in charge of like overseeing contrary uh, knowledge, but also like they have a pretty deft hand in like, what is the best motive thing? Uh, what is the best selection for this? Hmm. Is that right, Jake? Yeah, I was going to say, it's just like, well, A, I was going to ask if you'd rather be in film or television, because I think those are very different headspaces, certainly. And then I would also say, like, basically, it's like the professional version of Pass Me the Aux Chord, you know, that is literally what you do. You get to pick all of the songs. And yeah, I guess deal with the technical aspect of like, maybe probably getting, I mean, maybe that's a whole other job of just like, I've picked the songs, now someone else go deal with the, the licensing issues, but um, definitely, I'll say that is definitely a dream job I've had, although it's pretty linked to what I already do in terms of like, you know, I've DJed and I'm, I'm a musician, so it's like, it's too close, honestly, but um, music supervisors, definitely a top five job. Sounds like you are one. <laughs> I, I'd like to think so, at least a little bit, but yeah, so it's, it's that, that, that's probably the coolest job someone said so far, in my, in my opinion, but you're speaking my language for sure. Madeline Bryce Art, welcome. Good to see you, Madeline. It says Caladon Brood is an epic fantasy metal band. So Ooh. I'm gonna write Cal that. Um, hold the fucking phone. I we I just it. finished after six years of six years. I finally finished the first book in the Malazan wait the Malazan Book of the Fallen, um, in which Caladon Brood is a a character. Um, oh. So wow, super like wow. Her timing is amazing. Thank you, Madeline. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to Madeline. Madeline knows all the metal. <laughs> Madeline's um, partner is a uh, photographer for the band I was talking about earlier, the Devil Wears Prada, like my my favorite childhood metal band, if you could call it childhood. But uh, So Madeline coming in with the sick metal knowledge. <laughs> Real, yeah, the clutch. shredder heads are in the chat for sure. <laughs> Um, Next up, we got uh, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, or Disney, if you had to choose. Did you watch cartoons? Oh. Probably Nickelodeon, but I don't yeah. have a good reason for selecting that. Yes, it's a decent choice. Um, no, I don't, watch a, I don't watch a ton of cartoons, like maybe Rick and Morty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you? That's, like when about, you were, that's about it. You were young? Oh, yeah. So, oh, so yeah, back yeah, yeah, then, yeah. What, uh, that's, that's... what was it? Oh, um, actually, I might even have to give a shout out to PBS. Oh, it's one not of those kids. Yeah. Uh -huh. I felt it coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. PBS um, kids. Uh, Arthur and Wishbone were really important growing up in my life, um, as was Ghost Rider. Mm. Um, uh, and then, you know, like typical Nickelodeon stuff like Rugrats. Uh, yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. No, I think I'm PBS. I'm pretty solidly PBS. Yeah, well, wow. it wasn't one of the I... options for a reason. So, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so funny. I was I was chatting recently about uh, the power of uh, PBS saying, uh, you know, with contributions from viewers like you, mm. thank you. And, like, the, them putting that those words on the screen, I think, like, it's it's not it's not a stretch to think that, like, those that – like started a generation of people that want to do the stuff like for instance that we're talking about and you know that you as a child watching pbs and the work you're doing now uh certainly osmosisly i'm sure somewhere is a nugget of of that <laughs> if i could <laughs> just like right. viewers like me 
thank me i have i i have power of what happens on the screen like what you know it's really You're breaking welcome for my gift yeah yes right exactly some serious stuff there i just thought their logo was creepy oh creepy it it's not a good logo it's like the i posted this photo of the the head from uh figure it out the other day on my instagram story yeah very similar aesthetic to the pbs head hmm. I do have to say, if we're talking graphic design logos and PBS, I just have to get this out. The Channel Nine, Red Nine, uh -huh. that case, that are, I must say, Case DK, that's Channel Five, that we do here in St. Louis. That is like my favorite thing in the world. I am not into tattoos, but if I was to ever get one, it would Dude, absolutely be the Channel Nine, the Red Channel Nine. I, I, I also, sorry, they also had a thing where if you donate to them, they give you Channel Nine stickers to like uh -oh. put in your car, and it's just the nine. Like, it's a total flex. Like, it's just the red oh. nine. It doesn't even say, like, PBS, St. Louis, whatever. It's just that I was like, Sick. this is everything I've ever wanted. I love this so much. Um, so How many do you have on your car? <laughs> nine. Actually, zero. I actually was just realizing I need to go find – I don't know where those oh. are in a box. Yeah. I absolutely need to this put that is, on my car. This is the beginning of your personalization of your life. This is your ringtone, Jake. And you <laughs> This is my ringtone. Is my Channel 9, yeah. red nine sticker on my car. So Only bumper anyway. sticker I ever put on my car was a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker. No problem with and that. This is, this is your nine, you know. It, I didn't. I didn't even commit. I did a Bernie Sanders magnet uh, on the back of my car, and uh, that got stolen for because it's easy uh, to take dude, off. That's, <laughs> Are you doubting that's my commitment, like, to Bernie? <laughs> um, look, I don't think I believe enough to have a sticker. I'll just do the magnet. Uh -huh. Like, I don't want to stretch my mind. Yes, right. Great mornings, um, Jake. Oh. <laughs> Well, uh, Liz, uh, one more in the three things from childhood. Uh, Squirtle, Charmander, or Bulbasaur? Squirtle. Yeah. Um, he just seems like a nice guy. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like, I just want to... The sunglasses. Yeah. I just want to okay. be a friend. Um... I, have to, I have to give a, a shout-out to my friend Shiley. We were talking about the sunglasses emoji, and like she was mm -hmm. debating whether or not to put that in a text, and she's like, you know what? I'm going to throw it in. Everyone likes to see that guy. Everyone loves that guy. It's Everyone true. wants to see him. Like, he's yeah. such a, a cool kid, whatever. And I'm like, and that's exactly what Squirtle is. When he wears a sunglasses, like, he's just a cool guy. Everyone loves to see him. Who doesn't love he's him? He's laid back. So. He's fun. You know, <laughs> like, nothing not to like there. Everyone else is right. kind of intense. Right. Yeah. For sure. I mean, Charmander. Wait. Is that what we're talking about? Charmander's Char cute. Yeah. He's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There we go. We're good. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I like them all. Look at that. <laughs> oh, like my God. How can I not? And I love that they all have different like chains, that. or at least one of them does. I guess the leader does. Lead Squirtle That's has. Nice. I don't know. I don't understand that. I don't understand actually, like what this is inside of the universe. Of yeah. Pokemon, but I'm into it. But we're into it for sure. Yeah, I don't either. But I. Um. I... Yeah. For sure. I'll Wait, do. I'll do one more. Um. Uh, Liz, while driving, are you typically the receiver or the giver of the finger? Mm. Ooh, uh, can I uh, equal equal amounts? Okay. Um, sure. Yeah. I something I really don't like about myself is I do have road rage. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, like five minutes into driving, I'm like fuck you and fuck you and fuck you, <laughs> and, and you know, if I were like in a line at Schnooks and those same people were there with me, I'd be like, oh hey. How's your day? Like, I don't know. Something yes. about being in the car like oh, brings out the worst. <laughs> my God. Talking about grocery stores. So uh, I was at Aldi the other day and there was a huge line 
at Aldi over here at uh, the Gravoy Aldi, which I love, the newest Aldi in the St. Louis area. Um, shout out to them. And there was a big line, and we had, like, a moderately full cart, and there was, like, no one behind us, but then there were, like, a lot of people in front of us, and we didn't have, like, a huge cart or anything, but then this person comes up with, like, a box in their hand and, like, stands kind of, like, between us and the next person, and because we have, like, six feet, right, obviously, and it just, like, starts, like, looking at us like expectantly and i was like are you really trying to like big dog me into letting you in front of me because like if you would have just watched your ass behind me i would have considered it and probably would have done it but for you to like take the the covid gap as your merging point into this line (laughs) with your box of goods i thought was just so entirely disrespectful that i was just like no like i'm not even having this conversation i'm just gonna like act like you don't exist until you have to get behind me and they like huffed and puffed and like literally called me an asshole under their breath and i'm like no you are my god i know you are but what am i Uh, wow so there's my road rage sorry rick sorry i I was about to say though i feel like grocery stores are the new road rate like place for road rage yeah that's true i have stories similar to that where like luckily i'm very tall and big so i feel like no one you know like (laughs) Yeah, I'll get like the, I was, I legit felt like I had to like stick up for people in front of me because there was like the longest line ever at the schnooks on the hill and it's like wrapped around all throughout the aisles and all this shit. And some lady in front of me started to question the legitimacy of the line and like who was next and implied that she should be next. And like, it just brings out like the privilege and the power move. Like, yeah, don't. I'm just here for like some clementines and cat litter. Like, I don't, I didn't want this. Yeah. My heart is racing right now. <laughs> From the coffee or the thoughts of From the, the thoughts <laughs> of the anxiety that I get in grocery stores these days. Yeah. Speaking of grocery yeah. stores, Liz, what are your thoughts on quinoa? Uh, it really gets stuck in your teeth a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm more of a couscous person if I had to, oh. if I had to solid um but i i mean i like the quinoa it just i think it's um it's not high on my list of grains i'll put it like that but i respect yeah. it no i i'm I, i'm here with you i think i think a lot of people think we ask this question as like we expect you to be crunchy and like quinoa but like quinoa mm-hmm. is so 2015 and there are much <laughs> better grains for much cheaper I 100% agree. It feels um, kind of like kale, like when kale had a moment, mm-hmm. I feel like, and I'm, I'm kind of over it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's good and things, but it's not the end all be all. Yeah. A little Swiss chard every now and then. Uh, right. That Swiss chard does not get enough love. No. Or beet greens. 2021, the year of Swiss chard. I'm calling yes. it right now. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. Um, and then... Uh, just two more questions here. So this one's a little different. Um, if you have a meditation or similar way of relaxing or connecting to the world, I'm just curious if you could describe how you you find that relaxation, that connection, that meditation or mindfulness in your life. Uh, I think in the past year, it's been listening to music and going on walks. Mm. 
like listening to music while on my walk. And I normally don't realize until the very end, but by the end, I'm like singing. I'm like the person who's like singing out loud and walking, you know, to the beat of their own music. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, like, you know, you start off the walk and you're like, eh, and by the end, you're. You're vibing. Yeah. Yeah. You're vibing. Yeah. That's the perfect word for it. That's a really good Zoom, uh, like virtual. I'm listening to music. Look, you just did this like this small head circle. <laughs> kind of getting. <laughs> I knew you were yeah. really into it when you bring out yeah. the the tidy head circles. Yes, good pantomime. It happened. Sure. No, that's good. I I'm mm-hmm. I'm all for that. I think that uh, meditation, mindfulness, and relaxing and connecting gets a bad rep that it has to be about like nothingness and disconnection. But like so often, we need to connect with our bodies. Like we need to feel our bodies. And if we can feel our bodies, that helps ground us. Um, I think that's especially true as someone who sits at a computer for way too long. <laughs> like, yeah. Got to get up and move for sure. Jake, you want to round us off? I sure will. Um, I think this is kind of um, a great way to kind of reflect on um, certainly everything you've said to us, which I, I certainly feel like is a gift. Like you were truly like gifting us a lot of this information, but also that I guess that can get kind of misconstrued in the nonprofit term of a gift. So we'll maybe <laughs> we'll remove that terminology, but, um, but I, I think this is something that maybe can be viewed as a gift to you. Um, and this is my favorite question that we always ask is uh, what is the most memorable response you've received about your work? <laughs> um. Man, I, I honestly, um, you know, I think that it's being able to share it in here, being able to do research with, um, like when work is with uh, community members, um, like whether that be doing an evaluation where like instead of having um, participants in the program be participants, they are co-producing the knowledge, right? Like they are helping design the evaluation. They are helping... And like at that point in time, normally I end up realizing, well, I know this, that they are teaching me as much as supposedly, you know, I am teaching them. Like it really, it truly is a co-production of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the best response is when we start to like vibe together and we start to understand um, that our work is better together. Like, and on, and I want to give a shout out to like, uh, to y'all too because being able to like hear what people have to say in the comments today and like how it relates to their lives or how it shows up in their lives like it means a lot super useful i mean it's and i think too like the kind of meta conversation is like here's the response that we're talking about let's just have it in the chat you know that response is uh knows no form sort of and and that uh the closest we can connect these people to response i think is in any method is super important so so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. On that subject, there was a question that I missed earlier that I do want to give as much credit to people who ask questions as possible in the chat because we want to create this inclusivity and this etiquette-less, with, within reason, obviously, etiquette-less environment for people to share and explore. But the question was um, from T. Green Girl. Uh, I'm curious about... Um, histories in other countries who fund artists and how does that when and how did that funding come about and she's thinking about that in relation to welfare programs and I that's a big question but I I think that you probably have some thoughts on it 
Yeah, yeah. I would highly encourage you to, there's like an entire branch of political science around institutional development um, and design that I think you would be really interested in first and foremost. But there are quite a few scholars who have looked at the development of our welfare states um, by different nations and countries. And frankly, like a lot of it started really, really early on in like the 17th or 18th centuries where um, public good was defined a lot differently in those countries um, than it was in America. Um, frankly, you know, we are a country of individualism and that frames a lot of how our institutions and establishments and systems have been built um, instead of around more, more around collective good. So you can actually go back and trace the histories of that back a couple of centuries, frankly. Awesome. Um, so it's, it's a very big answer though to that is yeah. the, that is an amazing question and I am not doing it justice, but like, no, there is so much literature out there that you can read to, to better answer that question. Good. And I know T Green Girl personally, and she's, um, doing, she's my partner and she's doing, uh, graduate studies at UCLA for, um, housing, uh, masters of urban planning with a emphasis in housing. Ooh. And so I think that it has to do with, you know, housing infrastructure and, um, uh, you know, the ways that those systems, I think in her studies, they go, like you said, back centuries, you know, <laughs> they go back and back and back um, to tell a story. We have to start at the beginning of time, but and in these like large structural institutions, like that is, that is truth. Yeah, tell her I'll send her some, some books. Okay, I will. And she's listening to No, she can hear me. I'm not sure why I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Skate Mom says, tell Liz we will vote for her when she runs for office. Yes, so. Liz oh. for mayor. There's the mayor that we want to vote for. <laughs> Straight to mayor. I, I would prefer to be behind the scenes. Be well, the all the best leaders do. Yeah, all the, the best uh, leaders the, do prefer to be behind the scenes. So The uh, arts czar. How about that? That, oh. that, that could work. <laughs> if only we had one in St. Louis. Like, there we go. Okay, and just, to, yeah. just to, start, to begin to tie the bow on this show, is there anything else that comes to mind for you, Liz, that you want to share with our community or just the community at large or just the, the ether before we go today? And uh, always question policy. Um, the mobilization of bias happens in institutions. And think about that next time you're applying for a grant. Um, and go vote. Vote for make, and raise hell about arts issues because arts issues are actually like issues that affect people um, and not just artists or the arts community. They affect everyone. Um, yeah, I think art is a public good and I think we need to support it as a public. That's it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, Jake, follow that up. Uh, yeah, um, I'm just going to hit retweet on that, uh, <laughs> what Liz said. I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> Let's just go with that. Uh, Denise in the chat says, thank you, Liz, for raising my arts IQ today. Um, yeah, and and uh, I, while we're all here together on the screen, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for the effort. I think um, I know that I don't know what that's been like for you. I know that I don't know how much effort and how many pots of coffee and how many sleepless nights it has been for you. And I'm grateful that you continue to do it and through the, through the adversity and, um, and just, you know, sharing this, this space with us here today. So thanks Liz. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to, to share 
some of these things, uh, some of the research, because, you know, I've been in graduate school as a researcher, uh, wearing my, primarily my researcher hat for a long time. And like, these aren't things that are always shared. So I'm glad you guys, I really appreciate you guys making the, some space to talk about policy and politics and art. Like, mm. I really, really appreciate it. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right, I'm going to switch over here. Um, Skate Mom says thank you as well. We got a bunch of thank yous. Feel free to drop hearts in the chat for Liz. Um, thank you all for tuning in today. Um, chat, y'all were crushing it. Uh, love the questions, love the interactivity that we had. This is really kind of the mission of the travel agency, giving people direct links, direct contact with artists and people in arts organizations um, and arts institutions and fill in those blanks. Skate Mom with the, with the five bits. Thanks, Skate Mom. All dono donations, uh, bits, subscriptions, um, purchases in our shop go to support our artist resident programs. Um, we have two uh, sets of artists in residence. We have the, our first artist in residence, which is Jake Leach and um, Denise. Uh, Denise Hewlett, yes, I'm sorry, I, haven't, I don't say it very much, Denise Hewlett as Stars Align, and Stars Align is a, a show that will be streaming for its first time um, this upcoming Thursday, so you can see them there. Uh, I have a couple other artists in the pilot program of the residencies, so we're just growing that before we offer it to a wider audience, but anything, any support you have, you give to us, even these follows help us support your viewing time really is like your patronage here on Twitch as well. You being here is your patronage. So all of those things go to support resident artists. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week with um, photographer and wonderful person Tiffany Sutton. There'll be more of her on our Instagram. You can check out Liz's links here. You can check out uh, our links here. So thank you all for the time and we will see you next week. Bye.